Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us. This is episode 180. Uh, we're recording this uh, Sunday, June 26, 2022, at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Joining me today are Todd and Adam. I forgot to say I'm Terry, by the way. As always, I'm Terry. But Todd and Adam, Zach is not here. Uh, he is uh, he is living the life of a teacher and had to take some kids to Dallas for the week and left this morning. So uh, so blessings on the heat there. However, it's not much uh, it's not much cooler here right now. Uh, it th- thermometers read 95 in Hillsboro right now. Where are you guys at? Uh, about 86. 80- Five-ish. A year ago today, it was almost 100 degrees. I remember because I went to Oregon. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was the heat wave. That was the heat yeah. wave. Thanks for calling me up from AAA again. I pre- yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, this should be fun. This should be fun. Uh, Zach is not here, but his presence will be felt, and we'll get to that a little later on. Um, okay. So, since since Zach's not here, we can indulge a little bit in, in some Seattle sports here. And I have to talk about this Mariners Angels baseball brawl that just happened like an hour or so ago. Um, I know you guys didn't see it. Adam just watched the, the, the highlight of it. Um, And uh, yeah. So, so first off, it sounds like this whole thing, I got to give you the full play by play because this thing is so, so much crap. And, and the angels just proved that they are the lowest of the low when it comes to class in major league baseball. So apparently it goes back to yesterday and I didn't watch the game yesterday. I was at, um, I was, uh, in downtown Portland watching a production, the touring production of cats, which I had no idea was literally about nothing, which is kind of, it's a Seinfeld of Broadway shows. It's, it's literally about nothing. It's, it's each cat gets their own song and that's about it. Anyways. Um, so the Mariners win two in a row against the angels, but in the ninth inning, apparently Mike Trout got his feelings hurt because we threw a pitch up and in on him. And how dare, how dare we think about even throwing close to, to Mike Trout. So, uh, so he got, he got his feelings hurt. So they decided um, this morning, right before the game that they weren't going to start their starter. They were going to start an opener. And pretty soon if you realize the only reason they started an opener is so that they could start the game by throwing at our guys and he could get kicked out of the game and they still have their starter available because first inning, uh, second batter, Julio Rodriguez, he throws the pitch behind him at head level. Okay. And, and, and the umpires refuse to do their job at that point. And here's the thing. Everybody knew this was coming. Like all the announcers are like, let's see if they throw at Julio. Let's see if it's going to happen. Oh, yep. They threw at him. What are they going to do? Are they going to kick him out? Nope. They're just going to now give them warnings, which they should have done before the game started. Okay. Then second inning and the Mariners bench is livid at this point that they're throwing behind him and up, up near his head. Second inning starts first pitch. They hit Winker on the hip. Like what the hell you're doing this to uh, two to you. You got your, your throw in you, you did your thing move on, but no, they got to do it again because they missed the first time. And, uh, and so that, that triggers everything that and Winker is 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 like, what what the hell's going on? And he starts walking to first base till the dugout starts yelling at him. Then who who instigates it? 
but Anthony Rendon, a guy who is out for the season, so he can't, so he can't get. There's no, no. Uh, I'm sure they planned this. Like, all right, you're out for the season, you can't get suspended, so we're gonna have you start the thing. And so he goes out and throws a punch at Winker to start the whole thing off, and then and then Winker start got, starts in on it. Crawford starts uh, starts in and in, in there. Julio's hot. The, the managers are in there. There's like this whole scrum in the middle of the field where there's like full on wrestling and people throwing haymakers and all this stuff. Finally, they break it all up. And, uh, and then, oh, and then Rysel Iglesias, the closer for the angels, he, he starts throwing crap out on the field um, and, and all sorts of stuff. It's ridiculous. So when all the dust settles, what happens? The managers get ejected and, two reliever or no three relievers get ejected one of them being the guy who hit him and then two relievers who probably weren't going to pitch today and they had this all figured out and uh and then winker julio crawford the mariners three best hitters all get ejected and toro hit a home run and then and then toro who wasn't even in the lineup today ends up hitting a home run they're currently leading one to nothing i hope that i hope it holds but Yeah. yeah It, it was it was so so much BS, and you could tell they did this to try and just just piss them off and see because this is how it happens, right? The 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 guy who the best player who gets hit starts John with the dugout, and the guys who get ejected on the other side are the guys in the dugout that don't even play, and then the the stars for the other team and the, are the ones that get in trouble over there. I They're mean, like they knew what they were doing in the dugout. Oh yeah. Oh, Otani wasn't even on the field. Trout stayed out in center. I mean, it was that they they knew what they were doing. No one, no one in the lineup except for the reliever who was brought in for the sole purpose of hitting our guys got ejected. Rendon can't get ejected. He's not even on the roster. You can't eject a guy who's not on the roster. He started the whole thing off. It's insane. It's so much BS. Uh, I hope they still win. Apparently they don't play again until August after today, but it, it's yeah. Oh, and, but, but, you know, we didn't retaliate when uh, they had Justin Upton in the head when they were in Seattle last week, but you know, we're just going to ignore that part. So, I mean, it, it's, it's ridiculous. They, 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 they fire Joe Madden and, and uh, hire a classless clown like Phil Nevin as their, as their uh, manager. And this is what you get. So I'm hot. I'm hot. And now my, my AC isn't on right now either. So I'm really hot. Anyways. Bold move, Cotton. Bold move. I know. I know. Yeah. And you guys haven't seen it, but yeah, now that you heard it, I mean, that's ridiculous, right? Yeah, man. That's that's baseball though. That's how it works. Astros are the same way. That's the, another classless team. (laughs) Not, not quite like this. though. Not, Not like, like that, the, though, they but. wouldn't. I mean, they they have they're classless just because they you know all the well, crap they did to steal a title. But but when they when the guy hit a pinch hit grand slam home run where they do threw behind JP and then threw at him again the next like the next pitch. Like yeah, this but I mean, year, but. starting a reliever just so you could throw at our stars the in the first inning. I mean, yeah. Well, Nevin's an old school man. guy, but he knows if he went full old school and just put their biggest flamethrower on the mound, like, I don't even. They think wouldn't have gotten ejected when he was playing. I don't even think that other pitcher got. Uh, I don't even think the opener got ejected because he has one innings pitched. 
Oh yeah, it, it was the first pitch of the second inning. So it was so. He oh, that's once. why. Okay. He, he he threw it. He threw it Julio at first, and then Winker was the first batter of the second inning. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. That's that was the whole thing. Works. They're like, "What? What the hell? We're throw- we're doing this again?" And well, you already uh, threw it, our guy. You got your moment, but uh, he didn't get to hit him, so he had to do it again. <laughs> he had to throw it Winker because Winker was yeah. the one on the top step yelling, along with Upton. I mean, I kudos for Upton. Uh, you know, go, s- switching sides, and he's he's oh. on the top step yelling and screaming. Well, you know that Julio Rodriguez is going to be around a long time, so. We'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how long the suspensions are. But yeah, I, I, I bet I bet Winker and JP get like five game suspensions. It sucks too because uh, Winker's just now coming around and he's starting to figure smoking, it out. Smoking yep. the ball, yeah, doing Winker things. It's nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I got that off my chest. We should probably start talking about movies now. That's why we're really here. But. I, I figured we could indulge a little bit with uh, with Zach on. Um, Jayhawks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, what are you drinking? The Two Stars Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. It's uh, 86 proof. So it's got a kick. And I put five ice cubes in it about 15 minutes ago, and they are all <laughs> melted. That shows how hot it is here. You don't have an air conditioner, do you? No, but I, I, I enjoy the heat. Bring it on. Oh yeah, I I, re- I remember this growing up with you. I, I hated it. Um, Adam, what are you drinking? Uh, toilet toilet bowl water. There we go. There we go. Just joking. I uh, know. No, I got a straight got from a, work. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I got just whiskey and Coke. So or whiskey and Pepsi, I should say. So. Refreshing and does the trick. That was a low blow, Todd. That was a low blow. <laughs> well, no, I thought that was the joke. No, it was from Black Phone. <laughs> Black but, Phone. Okay. It was a Black Phone joke. Oh, that wasn't from the bowl, though. That was from the back part. <laughs> okay, okay. Toilet tank water. There you go. Uh, all right. Well, so I, I thought I you got mind. it from like from like uh, outside the stadium or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> got it. All right. Well, I went to the I went to the brewery today. Shout out Ridge Walker. Uh, I was talking to the guy. I was telling him we were doing a podcast, and then he had to show me. So Ridgewalker does a lot of really fun videos, and they just filmed it. I don't know if they're going to put it on, if they've put it on social media yet, but it'll probably be on their Facebook page by the time this this airs. Of um, apparently they their the printer in their office died, and so they took it out back and uh, and filmed the whole office space uh, like reenactment. Uh, but and one guy had a baseball bat, and then another guy literally had a keg. And they were, <laughs> they were pounding, pounding the hell out of it. It was pretty great. And he had to show me like the raw, the raw copy of it because he, he knew I liked movies. So, so shout out to Ridge Walker. You guys are awesome. So this, since it's so hot outside, I didn't want something heavy. So I went with a hard cider today. And so this is, uh, uh, this is out of Helvetia brewing, but this is the, uh, the son of a peach, uh, hard peach cider. And uh, it's really light and refreshing, and it's exactly what I needed today. It's so. a very classy glass you're drinking on it. I know, isn't it? Nice, it's, it's, it's a little chalice here. That sounds pretty good. I think my wife would like that, but she's pregnant, so she has to wait. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember those days. I remember those yes, days. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing all over the Internet and uh, making sure that uh, we can be heard. 
by as many people as possible. Um, and uh, yeah, you can find us Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all over the place. Um, we've got a couple featured reviews for you today of some big releases that came out this week. And uh, we're going to be going back 20 years talking about an Oscars race uh, and uh, all sorts of fun stuff today. But first, let's talk about what we've been watching. And to start that off, we're going to go to Adam. All right. So I'm filling in for Zach here. So it would be beneficial to talk about a movie I may have fallen asleep in. So, all right. So it's a new latest Netflix release called The Man from Toronto, starring Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson. There we go. So here we go. Um, from what I remember, I don't remember the beginning of it, but the ending sequence is a really one, a cool one-take shot. But anyway, uh, Kevin Hart plays this uh, guy who he's kind of an entrepreneur trying to find his way in the world. Somehow he gets into some espionage kind of thrills up with this, this hitman that plays played by Woody Harrelson called he's the man from Toronto. And this is a movie I definitely want to go back and rewatch. Cause actually it's pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, but there was a middle part. I don't remember. And this ending set fight, uh, fight piece that's uh, set in a, in a bar that or not a bar but at the gym that is really shot really amazing that it was a very thoroughly entertaining scene with woody harrelson and kevin hart they have really good chemistry so if you've seen the entire film hit me up on on twitter at adam sideways uh let me know what you guys thought because i don't remember like 40 minutes in this movie uh so that once that one uh one uh tracking shot in the, the gym that's a four-star scene right there uh the movie, other part of it, I I, I don't know, uh, but it was a good nap, so that's what I'll do. How did I do on that? Was that a good Zach? That was a great. That was a great Zach review. I, I, I like that. that. That was a four star scene. That was a, <laughs> <laughs> a four star scene. <laughs> it was really. They actually had some really good chemistry, so I'm actually intrigued to go back and rewatch it uh, and see what I missed or may not have missed. <laughs> nice we'll see i like it i like it cool all right i'll go next uh for my uh oscar watch for this week i'm going back 20 years uh since zach isn't here i'm gonna review a foreign film uh so this was nominated yeah yeah this was nominated for foreign film 20 years ago in 2002 it's technically a 2003 american release uh and it is called zeus and zoe and uh, this was written and directed sure. by Paula Vanderost, and it was the submission and nominee out of the net. No, yeah, the Netherlands. Um, I, it, it was kind of confusing because half part takes place, I think, in the Netherlands, and part takes place in Portugal. So I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, it's the Netherlands. So Zeus and Zoe. It's uh, it, this really interesting story about um, about this family, and the parents have died. And they they were wealthy, a wealthy family. And in their family, they, they've always had this hotel villa on the coast of Portugal. And like they grew up there and this, they remember this place. Well, the parents have died. So it's kind of jointly owned by the four siblings. There's three sisters and a brother. And uh, in the will, it said that the brother gets it if he gets married. And um, and so the uh, the plot of the movie is the brother is engaged and the sisters are out to destroy the engagement because one, they um, 
they want to keep their their villa on the coast of Portugal, and two, they know their brother's gay, and he's just doing this so he can get the hotel, the villa, and sell it. So uh, they they're like they're out to destroy this whole thing, and it's it, it, there. There's this there's a lot of weird love triangles that all kind of go throughout where, you know, sisters are sleeping with their, their sisters, husbands. And all, I mean, it, it, it's, it gets twisted in there and uh, it's kind of hard to follow at times of exactly everything that's going on. Um, it does end uh, in, in a very heartwarming kind of heartbreaking spot as you, uh, as, as it all kind of comes together in the way that it does. But uh it, it it was kind of a forward thinking movie and i mean it was it was this you know this century it was 2002 but uh it the the where it ends up and how it kind of all works out it it it, it definitely uh felt more modern than 20 years ago but uh it, it was it was a solid movie i'm giving this one three stars um especially for the way it ended. I really liked liked how it tied it all together and ended in a really a really neat place. So uh that's Zeus and Zoe. Have you guys either of you heard of this one at all? Maybe my same answer from last week. No. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. It, it's available on Canopy if it's something that you're uh something that you're interested in, so. Yeah, that's Zeus and Zoe. That's my review. Awesome. And I also watched Red Rocket this week, but Zach's not here, so I'm going to save save that and talk about it another time. He, he's been asking me to watch nice. that for a while. Yeah, good call. Yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah. All right, Todd, your turn. Well, you said you went to a show last night. I also did. I went to a comedy show for Ari Spears, and I didn't know who it was when uh, my girlfriend booked tickets, and, and people were like, "Oh, oh. Yeah, he's from Mad TV," and I was like. Okay, I looked him up and and I I was like I, he looks familiar. I don't I didn't watch Mad TV and then I saw on his list that he was in Jerry Maguire and I was like oh shit that's TP that's Rod Tidwell's brother in law and I was and then man he is absolutely awesome like he gets on the stage basically like hey if you guys are if you get if you think you're gonna be offended for yourself or anybody else you might as well just leave because this is not for you it was the most politically incorrect thing i've ever seen and it was amazing and exactly what i needed so if he comes to your town i definitely recommend it It, the tickets are pretty cheap he's he's awesome um but the movie i watched was uh a new movie uh last week i believe uh streaming it's called good luck to you leo grand Oh, oh yeah. by, I watch this. Uh, oh. Sophie Hyde is the director. Uh, stars Emma Thompson. She plays Nancy Stokes. Uh, <laughs> she's a widow, and uh, she never had a really satisfying life with her husband, like particularly sexually. She never experienced an orgasm in her life. Uh, so she decides at her late age that she's going to hire this male prostitute named Leo Grand, played by Daryl McCormick. And um, he reminded me of kind of a Rami Malek, but I mean, he's like this young, really good-looking, confident sex worker who thinks he can achieve everything for Nancy that she wants, but uh, she can't get out of her own head and her standards. So the majority of the movie is sort of them just in a hotel room talking, getting to know each other, learning about the other person and themselves at the same time. Emma Thompson is fantastic. Like it's a difficult role for someone her age. She really puts herself out there and, but she's convincing. I think only like a few people in the world that could have done it at that age. Um, McCormick, I wasn't really familiar with. He was apparently in Peaky Blinders and Vikings, but uh, he's cool. But his character is more interesting than the actual performances. It's the movie is sort of this commentary on how past experiences dictate your expectations and like the value of yourself. It's also sort of about motherhood. It's melodramatic in parts. 
Um, but I mean, I don't think it's necessarily warranted because it's mainly as like a, a dialogue heavy sex comedy and both characters are kind of insufferable to be around, but it's well written and the stage like setting is sort of my thing, but I just couldn't get there. So I'm giving it two and a half stars, but I could, I could see how this, this would be a pretty big, uh, I think it was the Sundance movie. I could see how it would be, it was a hit. So. Hmm. Yeah. It's one I wanted to check out for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I could see you guys giving it, you know, three and a half stars or something, or I could see you guys being not a fan of it at all. But I mean, it is, it is good dialogue. It's just sort of like I didn't really like the characters, and you're just stuck in a room with them for two hours, or less than two hours. Okay. Nice. Okay. All right. Let's get to our featured reviews. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. And we've, like I said, we've got two of them this week. Before we get there, though, I mean, so we're going to be talking about Elvis. We're going to be talking about The Black Phone. Those were the two big ones that came out this week. Have you guys seen the box office numbers yet today? No. I'm kind of yeah. curious about this. Okay. So, uh, uh, number, I'll, 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 I'll give you the top five. Number five in the box office is Lightyear. Okay. Made 18 million. Number four is The Black Phone. At twenty three million, okay. Number three is Jurassic World Dominion at twenty six million. Top Gun. Number two is Elvis at thirty one million, and number one is Top Gun Maverick, also at thirty one <laughs> yes. million, barely beating out Elvis. I, I just want, is has that ever happened before? Where a movie takes like two weeks off of being number one, and then is number one again? Because I, I, mean, I, I can't. I can't ever remember a movie having that sort of arc where it was like box office champ, not box office champ, not, and then again they are. Maybe Avatar did that at some point, but I mean that wasn't the reign of Avatar wasn't that long. Well, and and like Top Gun, it's not the the box office is not dropping that much. Like last week was what forty four, and now it's thirty one, and that's that's pretty that's pretty good. Well, it's gonna get smoked by animated movie next week, right? So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. But, but it still is like the super patriotic be... movie you're going to want to watch on uh, on the, <laughs> yeah, on the July Fourth of July weekend. That's that's a good point too. It's going to make like 25 million next week. Watch this. I, I, I that's probably fair. That's probably fair. And be number two. Yeah. All right. So let's get to the movies that that came out this week. Like I said, uh, we're going to start with Elvis. Now, Adam did not get a chance to see Elvis, so uh, so Todd and I are going to talk about this. And Zach, he's going to have a little bit to say about this as well. Our country itself is sick. But it's lost its sense of direction. Even its common decency. You don't so much as wiggle a finger. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things. But in the end, you got to listen to yourself. that moment, Elvis the man was sacrificed, and Elvis the god was born. I'm gonna show you what the real Elvis is like tonight! You're looking for trouble? You came to the right place. You're looking for trouble? Look right in my face. He had no idea what he had done. You ain't nothing but a dog player. I get it. I wish 
to promote you, Mr. Presley. Tomorrow, all of America will be talking about my war. Who the hell is there? All the time. Elvis Presley. If you don't do the business, the business will do you. I'm gonna do what I want to do. Sing the music that I want. They're gonna put me in jail. The way you sing is God given. So there can't be nothing wrong with it. If you don't listen to me, all that your mama has sacrificed for you will be for nothing. Trust me. Talk about the new Elvis. Those people ain't gonna change me none. I think if you dream it, you'll do it. Never met anyone like you. I hope not. We can't go on together with suspicions. Without me, there would be no Elvis Presley. Reverend once told me, I think it's too dangerous to say. Sing. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Elvis Presley. This ain't no nostalgia show. We're going to do something different. Uh, but I'm going to start talking about Elvis. Um, this is written and directed by Baz Luhrmann, who has uh, given us some spectacular spectacles uh, in the past. Everything from uh, the Leo Claire Danes, uh, Romeo and Juliet, to Moulin Rouge, to The Great Gatsby. I mean, he, he's known for just having this, these huge productions. So who better to take on Elvis than Baz Luhrmann? I mean, it felt like it was like a perfect match to to get this like great like legend of of music that has that is built up to like otherworldly levels to be uh, the one or to be brought to us by Baz Luhrmann. So uh, Elvis is played by Austin Butler, who, uh, if we've known him from anything, it is as the ranch hand in at Spawn Ranch in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's really the only thing anyone knows him from, if they even remember him from that. Uh, he plays Elvis uh, and completely disappears into this into this role. Um, he he's got the persona down, he's got the voice down, he sings all his own music, uh, and he is being managed by Colonel Tom Parker, played by Tom Hanks, doing something um that the this was the most interesting part about the whole movie is how this tom hanks performance was actually going to play um it was super weird and distracting in the trailers i actually think it ends up working all right because you settle into it and it and it does okay so that's that's kind of where i'm at uh but he goes through uh, it kind of goes through it's in some ways it's a traditional biopic because it goes from the start of his career and some childhood stuff to to his death and and kind of tells the whole story um but it's not a traditional biopic because it does it in a very baz way 
Um, <laughs> the first half of this movie is glitzy, glammy, spectacle, everything flying all over the place. Uh, and the, the second half of the movie really gets a little more grounded and and uh, feels almost almost gritty at times as it as it talks about Elvis's downfall and down, downward spiral that he goes through. Um, and then you get uh, Colonel Tom Parker and how he's kind of controlled him and controlled his career the entire way through. Um, this is a movie at I'm everything I've heard about this going into it is you're either going to love this movie or you're going to hate this movie. And it all depends on kind of how you feel about Baz Luhrmann. It's a, if, if a Baz Luhrmann Elvis biopic sounds good to you, you're going to like it. And if it doesn't sound good to you, you're not going to like it. Uh, I loved it. I thought this, this, the premise at first sounded great and I loved the execution of it. It was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Um, is it, is it perfect? No. Is it messy? Absolutely. But what kind of Baz Luhrmann movie isn't a little bit messy, um, but uh, it, it really works. And one of the things that makes it work so well is my word, Austin Butler. Uh, this is like the next superstar uh, in the making right here. Uh, he is so magnetic on screen uh, and he just, he is perfect in this role, but he just, you, you see there's star power there. And we're going to be hearing about Austin Butler for years and years and years to come after, after this movie. Uh, I think it's pretty, I would hope it's pretty safe to say that he's a shoe in for an Oscar nomination at this point for, for his work. Like I said, Tom Hanks was fine. I, it, it, it was serviceable. It, it served what it needed to serve for that part. Um, but it, it, it's, it's Austin Butler's movie and you paired that kind of magnetic presence and, uh, and performance of an iconic character uh, with Baz Luhrmann doing his thing and telling the story of this larger than life figure. Uh, you have this, this crazy, messy, awesome spectacle. And I loved every minute of it. Three and a half stars for Elvis. Nice. Nice. Todd, what did you think? Yeah, I sort of hated this movie. Um, <laughs> and the main problem is like the main character is not Austin Butler. It is Tom Hanks. And Nobody oh, came dark. to this movie for Tom Hanks, and he is awful. Like he, I always when the first time I saw the preview, I was like, he looks like a Bond villain, but he is like almost parodied into being Goldmember. Like his his accent, that, yeah, you're right, is Goldmember, <laughs> and he's also in this like Harvey Weinstein fat suit thing. Like I think they were trying to go for something about some abusive relationship thing, and him looking like Harvey Weinstein because he kind of did. But uh, he's always been bad at accents, and this is like this is no different. This is as bad as his accent in the terminal, and he, he the character is never interesting, and he's also sort of unknowable at the same time. I do not understand why he's the protagonist of this movie. And then like, but it's just those two really, because like randomly Cody Smith McPhee and Kelvin Harrison are in this movie, and for no oh, wow. reason at all, they're just wasted mm -hmm. for like one scene of interesting. But I really do like Austin Butler. He is um, he doesn't necessarily look like Elvis except for like the first time he puts on like the leather jacket. But his voice and attitude, he embodies Elvis. It's more like uh, Edgerton playing Elton John than it is like uh, Rami Malek playing Freddie Mercury in that that's, sense. Yeah, but that's a good call. He really should get a nomination. He's a future star. And I love the, my, my casting of him as uh, Han Solo even more now, now having seen this movie. But yeah. the, man, the movie is endless. Like the last hour feels like three hours. It's just this bloated 160 minutes. And you feel every bit of that shit. 
Like, uh, but I mean, at the same time, it kind of feels like a TV movie because it's chaotic and splendidly staged, like all Lumen stuff is. But it also feels like really small and predictable at the same time. Like, it seems like an A and E special, but like really dressed up. And it also, I find it weird that it takes inspiration mo- from all places that Walk Hard, because like <laughs> they re- they reenact like a shit ton of Walk Hard in this. Like that they, <laughs> especially like when with all the girls like losing control of their hormones, like when they when he first uh, performs. And then they have like the ups and downs and like the the cross cutting and all the all the things. And then he like has like a shit ton of instruments for some reason at one point. Like I mean, they're pretty much retelling Walk Hard with this movie. It's absolutely crazy. Walk Hard's a masterpiece. I don't think this really is. And there's also a little <laughs> Forrest Gump in there because they're, they're, it's a really oversimplification, oversimplification and a sort of pretentious way to tell a story. And I don't think it ever really goes dark like you like you were saying it did. I, I it it talks about dark dark things, but it doesn't really ever go there. But yeah, I mean, the last hour is just unbearable. I'm giving it one and a half stars. Whoa! But, but I mean, uh, but at the same time, I don't think I've ever given a one and a half star review and thought the lead actor should, or the I guess the second lead actor should be nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> so I will say that. <laughs> well, you know, there's that wow. at least. There's that. Yeah. See, uh, th- this is this is the great part about this movie is is I uh, I, I had a feeling you were going to say something like that that you just that that you hated it but it, it it's all it, how well you can like dig into what what baz is doing there uh yeah tom hanks i mean it oh, he's terrible yeah, i looked i looked up the guy he's playing and he actually kind of looks like him because of the fat suit and everything but yeah you you saying he's gold he's gold member that's actually or gold finger not gold member gold oh he's gold member he looks he, gold, i think he is a gold member <laughs> oh okay <laughs> Anyways, nice. I, I I did have one little take. So, have has anybody seen All Eyes on Me, the Tupac biopic yet? I saw part a of few it. years ago. Yeah. Anyway, so when I first saw that trailer, I kind of had the same reaction that I did for the Elvis trailer. Is that Austin Butler and Demetrius Ship look like they're just like own the roles of these ki- iconic figures in music? But hearing the two different reviews it's it sounds like all eyes on me is the elvis's version of that film because it feels plays has some really big moments but also plays as a tv movie in a way uh and i'm still intrigued to see it because considering the polar opposite uh reviews we just got uh Maybe I'll maybe I'll hold off on this one. Maybe I'll rent it when it's a little cheaper on Amazon. It, but still, I think I, it, it's still a treat for Austin Butler alone. And it, I mean, it's a like I said, it's a spectacle. So, uh, and and it all comes down to how much you buy the bazness of it. True. Um, and if you're gonna if you're gonna love it, you you're gonna want to see it in theaters because because mm. of the spectacle of it all, and it's kind of a larger than life thing at times. Um. So it really, pl- I think it really plays well in theaters. Or you can't well, tell me you didn't see the uh, the walk hard parallels. Like, I mean, it, it was <laughs> oh, it, it took inspiration from the of fake all sorts of different stuff. Just watched that for the first time this year. <laughs> yeah, um, I think cause I'm not a huge Minions fan. Uh, I might go see Elvis next week and just there uh, maybe go. report back for daily notes. Because uh, I go. have, to, yeah, there we go. I think that's. I'll put it attach it to my 1982 episode coming up. So there we go. I, I think I'll just do that and try to be the, the middle vote for us. All right. Well, we do have one more voice that oh, we want to hear about this. And that is, that is Zach before, before Zach uh, got on a jet plane and uh, didn't know when he'd be coming back again. 
he did <laughs> he did leave thing. us uh did leave us his thoughts on on several things to hear during this episode and the first is elvis so here is uh here's what zach thought of elvis okay so elvis the new baz Luhrmann movie now i have to preface this review by saying a couple things first of all i do not really consider myself a huge baz Luhrmann fan uh however i am a big fan of moulin rouge which i think is baz Luhrmann's best movie uh and uh everything else eh, so so kind of give or take probably fell asleep during most of it the other caveat is i guess i would consider myself an elvis listener I don't know if I'm an Elvis man like Vincent Vega in Pulp Fiction, for example. But, uh, you know, I, I'm fine with Elvis. Uh, I also agree with Public Enemy's statement about Elvis, too. So uh, there's that. Now, I will also say that, as Terry might know, I once won a Carnival Cruise Line karaoke contest singing Elvis. So I do have a bit of connection with uh, his music. Again, not Forgot about as that. much as, say, Reese Witherspoon putting up posters of Elvis in her bedroom in The Man in the Moon. Anyway, long-winded. I'll try to be brief in this. Yeah, uh, tell this me about movie it. was a Atrocious, in virtually every way uh, a movie could be. Um, Let's first talk about uh, the good parts of the movie, which are not many, but one of them is Austin Butler, who I think is fine as Elvis. The more I was thinking about it, it's not so much that his performance is impressive, uh, it's passable. It's not like he did anything to mess it up. He's kind of like Joe Flacco on the Ravens, you know? He didn't throw an interception. Uh, He wasn't terrible. But to be honest, how hard is it really being Elvis? I mean, we've made a national pastime out of Elvis impersonators. Uh, So, and I also have to say, I would have been very curious to see Garrett Hedlund as Elvis as well. Uh, Tom Hanks, uh, boy, if this movie had come out in November, say, obviously would get a lot of Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. This would get the Jared Leto House of Gucci uh, Best Supporting Actor nomination for Tom Hanks. He's awful in this movie. Um, I didn't really know too much about the character of Colonel Parker. Um, I didn't really go to the movie to find out that much about Colonel Parker. Uh, Sorry to break it to you, Baz. I'm not really that interested in it. I guess he's trying to do a Salieri Mozart type thing. Uh, I wasn't on board. I do not care about the snowman. He keeps calling himself the snowman for some reason. Um, I also didn't really care about Elvis either. I mean, Elvis is a complicated figure, obviously. He's a cultural appropriator. He committed statutory rape. Uh, you know, uh, the, the list could go on and on. Um, however, he's, uh, you know, the most uh, iconic, maybe, uh, musician of all time, which also makes me think, really, do we really need another Elvis movie? This movie tries to um, rehabilitate his image a little bit by throwing in some scenes with Big Mama Thornton, Arthur Big Boy Crudup, uh, Sister Rosetta Thorpe. You know, these black artists that he... You know, you could say he lifted from, or you could also say he was inspired by. Uh, I try, I kind of choose the former. Um, and, you know, the movie does the whole kind of requisite, hey, let's give 45 seconds to B.B. King. And, hey, here's a one-minute clip of Little Richard, and then we never see him again. And Elvis, is, you know, he's very sullen when he goes and sees those black artists. He's, I, 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 need to be, I need to be myself. So, see, I can even do an Elvis impersonation. It's not that hard, Austin Butler. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so, yeah, um, that was uh, pretty irresponsible and atrocious. Um, let's see. I think the movie is, you know, throws in those scenes to kind of placate the uh, criticisms of Elvis from the black community, which are completely uh, exempt from uh, this movie. 
But, you know, here's the thing, is that people are going to say this movie is not historically accurate. Well, it's Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann is the guy that, you know, threw in uh, Lady Marmalade at the Moulin Rouge. Baz Luhrmann is not about historical accuracy. So that 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 is what the producers and the defenders of this film will say. And to that, I say that's bullshit. I just, I, yeah, Baz Luhrmann is, is the total wrong choice for this. Um, you know, if you do like Elvis, and I like his earlier music, um, it is grating hearing the 2020 remixes of his music in this movie um just play the music um or you know if you're gonna have big mama thornton sing hound dog let's have her sing that hound dog that was a great moment in the movie that um again just got ruined by these modern day uh you know overproduced uh, uh remixes which i thought sucked um, you know, the, 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 the intercutting of the sequence with uh, Elvis and then the, the, the uh, segregationist rally presents him as some sort of civil rights advocate. I read a review from a, a, a Toronto critic who said, never before has a movie spent such a disproportionate amount of time on a white man doing nothing about the civil rights movement. I agree. I thought that kind of put it perfectly. There's a scene where, uh, you know, Martin Luther King gets shot. El Elvis cries. Then Bobby Kennedy gets shot. Curiously, the Bobby Kennedy scene occurs when Elvis is recording his Christmas concert, even though Bobby Kennedy was shot in June. Uh, who knows? I can't. I can't say anything about it. Anyway, um, this movie is a two and a half hour trailer. It doesn't do. Uh, it doesn't go into depth at all. It's just kind of you know lots of intercuts and montages and split frames. Not even interesting split frames. All sideways. In the words of Annette Benning, in the kids all are, are all right. I needed another Elvis movie like I needed a dick in my ass. This movie gets one star. It is not as bad as the bubble, but uh, mentioning it in the same sentence is, is not exactly a compliment. So. I'm sure I'm reiterating a lot of your guys' thoughts. <laughs> At least one of your guys' thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I think that wow. that might have been as long as the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that. Wow. Okay. He's going to hate you, Cherry, when he hears this. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like he had his mind made up about what the movie was going to be before he even went into it. Um, I'm not sure. There's like probably a 14% chance he didn't actually watch it. I, I mean, yeah, it, it is. I, there, there's a chance. I mean, you, you said it was a two and a half hour trailer. I think you just watched the trailer for two and a half hours. Um, <laughs> and fell asleep. And, and fell asleep. And fell asleep. Yeah. Um, it, there's a big difference between um, performing or uh, acting in a two and a half hour movie as a character and giving an Elvis Im impression. Um, have we ever had an El a movie about Elvis before? I, I don't think we have. No, um, and I would be interested to see who he would want to have done a movie about Elvis. The closest I mean, Elvis movie. Like Tarantino have... played Elvis in like a Golden Girls episode. I mean, does he want a Tarantino version of this? Because that would not be uh, commercially viable. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, yeah. 3,000 well, Miles well, of Graceland, maybe? It's only closest Elvis impersonator movie. Yeah, there's never been a movie about Elvis. There's never I mean, been a movie about Elvis. There have been yeah. Elvis movies, but there's never been a movie about Elvis. Good grief, Zach. I, Zach. Todd, I think you need to raise your star rating just simply for for Zach's horrible review. Like Zach read reviews and then uh, and then decided what what he had to think about. And then the he movie. quoted the kids are all right. And then quoted the kids are all right. Which not a great movie. I'm not sure he's actually seen that either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I am wow. closer to him. I mean, I, at least he gave it lower than I did. If he gave the same rating, then I would have raised my rating or asked him to lower his. So, 
he, that is something. Yeah, but, but yeah, but you said you said Austin Butler deserves an Oscar nomination. He said he's he's fine and just gives a gives another passable. impression you could find a passable impression impersonation you could find on the Vegas Strip. Yeah, that's as, as, as if he was watching Rocket Man or Bohemian Rhapsody, but that's not that's not what this was. At least not to me. Not all biopics are the same. I mean, there there are good ones every once in a while. There are ones where people actually do transform. So, whatever, Zach. All right. Well, I'm giving it three and a half. Todd's giving it one and a half, with with an Oscar nomination for Austin Butler. Uh, Zach's giving it one and saying it's the most atrocious thing he's seen outside of the bubble this year, and that uh, the uh, the the main actor belongs uh, on the Vegas Strip. Uh, giving his impersonation to <laughs> random people trying to get married. Um, gosh, thank you I'm very offended. much. I'm offended by his review. That 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 I mean he didn't even try to try to like the movie. That that's that's what that says. Like you saying like you you I could tell you you watched it. You you gave it its due. He didn't even try to like the movie. And no. and that and that makes me that makes me mad. Well, yeah, I mean, he said he. I don't see how you can like Moulin Rouge, but say you don't like Baz Luhrmann. Like that is Baz to a T. And, and this movie, is so. the closest thing. This is the closest thing to Moulin Rouge he's done since. I mean, it, it's it's fantastical. It's a spectacle. Well, Great Gatsby is the, the same top. way. It's similar, but I, I think this. I, I like. I think this is closer just simply because of the music aspect to it. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It whatever whatever okay uh let's move on really different yeah let's do something different now uh let's move on to something completely different because the other movie that came out this week is the latest blumhouse horror thriller the black phone i'll be home in the morning where are you going i'm staying over at susie's tonight snow the flyer the papers call him the grabber. I wish you wouldn't call him that. You don't actually believe that story, do you? Because he can't hear you, and he doesn't really take kids that safe. Oh! <laughs> you goof. Well, isn't that just peachy, King? You need some help? You see that? Yeah. <laughs> Would you hand me my hat? Yes, sir. I am a part-time magician. Are those Bacalones in there? Would you like to see a magic trick? I have an announcement to make. One of our students, Finney Blake, was abducted. What if I could help the police find Finney? Please, please, 
the dreams be real. See the wall in front of you? I tore one cable loose from down there. There's a combination lock on the inside of the storm door. What's the combination? I carved it in the wall. Hang up the phone! The tree, the door, the gate. I'd never seen it before except in my dreams. You don't have much time. You're gonna use a weapon. You raise the phone, step back, and swing. Look what you made me do. Please hurry! You remember what I told you? Someday I have to stand up for myself. Someday is today, Finn. This one uh, comes to us from, uh, I, I'm sure Zach loved this because it comes to us from an MCU director. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so uh, we're going to start with Todd on this one. All three of us watched it. Zach's going to give his thoughts of uh, of what the trailer was like and uh, how quickly he fell asleep in a little bit. <laughs> but um, uh, Todd, tell us, uh, tell us what the Black Phone was all about, what you thought. Okay, the Black Phone is directed by Scott Derrickson. It um it takes place in 1978 Northern Denver, which I think is probably the only movie that has ever had that as its opening words. Uh, but they, it's about this uh, child kidnapper called the Grabber who uh, is sort of plaguing the town, and this boy Finney is played by Mason Thames, and he's uh, he's the main character whose friends are sort of getting swiped. His sister Gwen is played by Madeline McGraw, and she's uh, troubled and she has dreams and visions. That seemed to be putting the pieces together of the case, but it's unclear why or how these are this is actually happening. Uh, Jeremy Davies uh, is terrific and terrifying as their father. Uh, Ethan Hawke plays the kidnapper who wears a mask, or at least half of a mask for almost all the movie. Uh, it starts out with a really good opening. It's like a get out kind of kind of thing. but uh, And then it becomes something of a really authentically of its era, stand by me-ish sort of thing. It, while also sort of being a 1980s slasher kind of feel, but instead of the kid, it's kids instead of like, you know, the blonde or whatever is the victim. Um, it, it, it like really thinks it's doing like an it or Stranger Things kind of thing, but I think it's like actually better than those things. It um, has really compelling child performances, which is not something I normally say. Um, it's like really effortlessly sinister. Like it isn't really a horror movie, though. It's more of like a tense thriller, almost like a lost chapter in the Mystic River saga or something like that. And it has like really ingenious staging in like the where, where where the grabber actually puts his victims. Like it's really claustrophobic and seemingly unattainable to escape. But while the eventual like keys of how they do it is, is a little kooky, I mean it's sort of satisfying at the same time. And uh, yeah, I mean Jason Blum produces these movies like really creative horror movies, and Ethan Hawke is appears in the movies just to get the butts in the seats, and it's worked so far. I mean, he's got a really good track record. It's a good movie. It doesn't really feel like a summer release. It seems like it should have been like this really surprise, like $50 million opening or something in like February or March. But uh, I'm, I'm really glad that it came out and that it's getting some good run and uh, good reviews because I, I like the movie a lot. It's a, it's a really high three stars. All right. Adam, where are you at? All right. Well, first thing that you, when you sit down and you watch this after the previews play, you have this really cool MCU <laughs> type of opening for Blumhouse. Really love the new intro. 
Uh, but anyway, uh, talking about the movie, uh, I think this, I, I really agree with a lot of things that Todd just said. I really dug this movie a lot. And I love the vibe and the feel. It's very, it feels very authentic. It, I, I reminded about it. You mentioned that, but Stephen King, uh, really good Stephen King movies that have that kind of vibe to it and play. And it feels just like they could be part of those worlds and those environments. But Ethan Hawke brings a very compelling, uh, portrayal of this uh this killer this grabber character that reminded me of such a, a like a it's going to be one of those supporting actress or supporting actor uh performances that a lot of people are on twitter are going to like say at least that's what i'm envisioning a lot of people are going to say that he should get nominated for an oscar same kind of conversations that james mcavoy had for split it's i could definitely see that ethan hawk's electric in this one uh what part Probably, I loved Miles Teller and Top Gun, but he, I think Ethan Hawke gives this performance that we haven't seen from him in a while. It's very compelling, and I, I was absolutely on board for it. I love the child performances here. I think they are some of the best that we've seen in horror films, and I think a lot of that times is we give them passable uh, grades for the performances because some of the scares may work for us. But however, this film for me is some of the best. Uh, storytelling that i've seen it felt really like really compelling and had me on the edge of my seat uh, i can see this one being kind of a, a one that i watch on a yearly basis and uh, an iconic one that i'm going to be talking about for a long time i'm going four stars uh this is my favorite film of the year uh I, and i i was thinking about this because i just saw this today and i usually don't jump to I, at least i've been doing better i will say preface that uh doing better not just jump to such conclusions but watching this i only thing i had issues with with this movie is the opening baseball sequence let me explain to you and when a guy hits a thank double thank you thank you double and the ball is in the infield <laughs> tag the batter running to yeah, second i thought the same thing come on like that guy what, what are you adam frazier not maybe not that bad i'm just joking uh but the uh, but then I hate uh, my my pet peeve in baseball related stories is that when you have a, the most ridiculous windup and make the pitch look so fast it's so unrealistic that's my only gripe that I have is that opening five minutes <laughs> he does have a wicked arm it's mint but uh, his arms are mint <laughs> his arms mint uh, but that's my only really gripe uh, but still still I love the black phone I am actually legit want to go watch it again today. I, I kind of want to. I'm not going to, but I, I love this movie. I can't <laughs> wait. Uh, we took my the biggest tell if a movie's really good. Uh, my, my wife's sister, she, she lived with us for a long, very long time uh, since she was 12. So she's turned she's turning 21 this year. Um, but anyway, usually whenever I ask her, to, hey, how was the movie? She's like, oh, it's all right. She said that was a really good movie. That's the first time I've ever heard it in the eight years I've known her or nine years that I've known her. Uh, so yeah, it's a great, good movie. Go see it. So, black phone. Nice. This made me feel old that she's 21. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, October. Uh, yeah, October. My goodness. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm an old man now. <laughs> man. Anyway, right. sorry to okay. age us. All right. So, that that's a, that is a glowing review, Adam. Uh, I'm not as high on it as you. I'm pretty much at the same spot Todd is. It's a very yeah. high three-star movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, but it, it is really good. And it, I, I enjoyed watching all the pieces kind of, kind of work their way and, and piece it all together to see how it all, how it all happens. Uh, 
and and the way the way it all comes together in the end i couldn't really shake that from my head for a while too i just love how that all works um i will say though i was right with you and if you didn't mention i was the opening baseball scene i mean (laughs) he 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 should have tagged the guy out going to second on the double um the pitching the it was like one of the worst shot baseball scenes i've ever seen um, the angle they were going for with the pitching just didn't work. It was like, all right, we're get, do this little, this little wind up thing. And then we're gonna, and then we'll, we'll shoot the ball out of a pitching machine right next to you. And that'll be, that'll be how we'll do it. And, and, and then, you know, and had, then it was like, it was like a cutter fastball. Like you can't do that on a pitching machine like that. <laughs> yeah, no, oh, yeah, you can. And then, slider. and then the home run, like the guy, the guy was like, all right. You could tell they were like, okay, just go and just jump into the fence with your arm up in the air, and that'll be, and and whatever we'll you, you're you talking like the, I mean, like in the Sandlot, he obviously popped it up like foul to like the dugout, and they're saying it's a home run to the right absolutely. Field. But at least the players looked like they knew what they were doing. I mean that that's... that movie was a baseball movie though. I know, I know, and this... this is like the beginning of a Quiet Place or something. Where I mean, <laughs> was that a baseball? I think they were playing baseball. Quiet Place playing... too, yeah. Part two, they were. Yeah. Um, but uh, I will say the one, the one other thing I'll say about it that uh, that hasn't been said yet is, uh, and Scott Derrickson, I saw this post yesterday on Twitter. Uh, Entertainment Weekly put out a tweet um, saying, um, "Doctor Strange director Scott Derringer follows the landline oh, to 1970s terror for Black Phone," and uh, Scott Derrickson. Uh, retweeted it and said, "Go see the black phone, or I'll shoot you in the face with my awesome new last name." So, <laughs> nice. I thought that was pretty good. All right, yeah. well, let's yeah, go ahead. No, it's I don't know. I just I had that feeling. I, I, I you, when you know you just you when you know you're gonna give a film with four stars, you just kind of got to pull the trigger, and I kind of had to. So, uh, yeah, first four star film of the year comes six I months mean- in. So, hell yeah. I just want to know how uh, you can beat through a concrete wall, but then you can't beat through the inside of a fridge. I was like, that was really confusing to me. It was locked. <laughs> it was locked. But I mean, that frozen. material is not concrete. <laughs> You'd think that he could have made a dent. <laughs> but yeah. okay. Those kind of things. I mean, that's why it was keeping me from like really loving. It. I was like, okay, I can I can poke poke holes in this. <laughs> that's kind of where yeah. I was at too. Yeah. Well, but, turn Todd off real quick so we can enjoy the movie. No, I'm just yeah. I'm just All right. Well, let, let's hear let's hear what Zach had to say uh, about the Black Phone here. Okay, this is my review of the Black Phone, and I'm sorry for going long on Elvis. I'll try to be a little bit quicker with this one. Um, the Black Please. Phone was a movie I was really looking forward to seeing. Uh, it had Ethan Hawke. Uh, I thought the trailer looked really interesting. It got a lot of good reviews. Um, you know, I'm always up for a good thriller. Um, this movie was a disappointment. Uh, I'm curious <laughs> to see what both of you, what, what you guys think. Um, I love, I do, I do have to say, it was very promising opening ten minutes of this movie with a clear ode to Days and Confused. This is, I was like, really, are we? I mean, we're self consciously. He is praising the with, baseball with scene. Hawk movie, um, but from there, it kind of it yes. takes a stumble. Um, we get this character of the Grabber. Uh, that's all. That's the only name he's given. He wears masks for some reason. There's no backstory. There's no character motivation behind uh, his kidnapping 
kidnapping of the kids. We get these cops in North Denver in 1978 who have to be the worst possible cops in existence because for one thing, they're looking for a child abductor and they don't think to look at the guy in a mask in a black van with black balloons. Hmm, he's, he's pretty obvious. He's right in the neighborhood where all the kids are getting kidnapped. They also, there's a great scene where, uh, you know, uh, we get this uh, a character who says, oh, I think I know, I know where this, uh, I know where the grabber is. I got all this information. The cops say, yeah, we, we're, we're done with you. And then at that moment, we know that this guy has to be involved, okay? Lazy story beats lazy story writing. Um, this movie looks a lot like a Netflix movie. It looks kind of like Firestarter. It has that kind of James what? Wan, very kind of blown out, uh, you know, uh, again, Netflixy. I can't really think of a better word for it. Um, it obviously feels a lot like The Conjuring. It feels like It. Um, it feels like a pre-Get Out, uh, you know, 20... 15 Bloomhouse movie. It doesn't really uh, have Blum. a compelling story. This is why I, I, I did the like the character anymore. of Finney. I thought the, the young actor did a good job. That's I always bothered me. Says terrible. Uh, he, she wins the Todd Award for worst little girl acting in a movie. Did we really need the visualization of the ghost? It's like this movie doesn't have any rules. It doesn't play fair. You know, is he hallucinating it? Do they have supernatural powers? The movie doesn't really care. It's just in there for some jump scares. You know, um, and uh, I gotta say that the sheriff at the end, kind of explaining everything. Thing, a la the end of Psycho. Hey, here's what happened if you actually missed it. Was just uh, again really lazy, really awful. Um, you know, again, uh, maybe awful is too strong of a word. This to me was a disappointment. I like Ethan Hawke. We all like Ethan Hawke. We didn't like First Reformed, but pretty much everything else he's good in. I don't really know why he did this movie. I think Scott Derrickson was the total wrong director for this. It did have some weird what? Doctor Strange vibes with like the bottles that spin and and the the the, the foam that uh, kind of like blows it up. It was I wish Marvel the kid director, had been laced with LSD or something like he fed him and he got, was on LSD. That would have made a more interesting 70s subplot to it. Very standard uh, kidnapping, abduction kind of farce. This movie gets two stars and uh, it's a disappointment. Uh, and I'll be curious to see what you guys think. All right. Can I can I rebuttal this real quick while he's not here? As the Buttle horror... As much as you want. As the horror... The big, I, I, it's safe to say I'm kind of the bigger horror fan out of everybody You are the horror the expert. Yes. So, personally, I never... I, I like horror films. I really enjoy them quite a bit. And I feel like this was a perfect homage to like that kind of classic horror film without being a slasher. It does bring that kind of supernatural element into it. And I feel like what his big thing was like, uh, the, it's supernatural, the son, but they clearly set it up with the mom and the kids having some kind of connection to their mother. And uh, for me, I think the, the homage to saying that he didn't like it because it was kind of referenced it. They, they blatantly have a bright yellow uh, raincoat and with a little girl. It's, it feels just like that. <laughs> like that's Richie from, uh, I think, no, Georgie, mm. sorry. Georgie from it. Like he has the bright yellow jacket too. It's the same, same kind of thing. It's like the homage to that seventies kind of style horror without being the, the slasher that came out in the nineties. So I don't know. Maybe it's just uh, me liking it a lot. I, I don't know. I'm not, it's whatever no, zach's know. being completely unfair like i mean that, that's a terrible <laughs> review so <laughs> well there we go but anyway it's a good movie go see it don't listen to zach all right well let's move on time to get into power rankings oh yeah let's do it you can't top that yeah that's the movie about the horse i'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here that's because i haven't seen it power rankings not including fargo can't choose fargo ever again and uh Last week, or last time, two weeks ago, Zach won 
and uh, he's not here. He wanted to be here for his his chosen power ranking because he never wins anymore. Wait, so what do we um, do? Who win- when someone wins this, what do we do? I don't know. We haven't decided that yet. <laughs> okay. I would but, take some uh, points. I would love some points. But what we decided instead was that uh, we liked what we did a couple weeks ago, uh, or a couple episodes, a couple months, a couple power rankings, whatever the hell it was. It was uh, some time when, ago. It was some time ago. <laughs> it really was. Uh, when we did, uh, we took a category from a year and just we reworked it and said, if the five that were nominated weren't nominated, who would have been in there? And uh, and so we decided to do that. Who should have been in there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. More who should have been in there. So uh, we decided to do that again and we left it up to Adam. We just said, pick an anniversary year and go with that. So Adam picked... I picked 2002 Best Actress. I figure that's going to be uh, like just a random year and a good kind of category. We did Supporting Actor, I believe, last time. So uh, Actress is the way to go next. Yeah, so 2002 Best Actress. So uh, this was the year, and Todd, I'll kind of go to you a little bit and see in your Oscar expertise a little bit. So we'll, we can talk a little bit about this race. Um, I wasn't, I, I, we weren't fully into Oscars at this point because we were still, I mean, I was in high school. I think you were just about to get into high school or you, you just started high school when this, uh, when this yeah, Oscars yeah. aired. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so we've got, uh, this was the year Nicole Kidman won for the hours and nominated with her were Renee Zellweger for Chicago, Julianne Moore for far from heaven, Selma Hayek for Frida and Diane Lane for unfaithful. Um, the, yeah, it's kind a, of a strong list there. It's like, a pretty <laughs> solid, awesome list. Yeah. So, what do you know much about this race, Todd, or did you research it all leading up to this? Uh, well, I mean, looking at like the Golden Globes, it doesn't really help much. You get things like uh, Goldie Hawn for the Banger Sisters and stuff like that. But the for honestly, for me, the one that I didn't include because it was nominated for an Oscar was Julianne Moore in The Hours, who which is the best performance in that movie and the lead in that movie. Uh, but she was nominated for supporting. So I, I don't really know who else was even who would have been in contention for that uh, for that next slot. It, it seems to me by looking at all the precursors that this was pretty much set. Maybe maybe my big fat Greek wedding could have snuck in there or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was a, it's a solid five. Um, do you know if. Uh, if. If. Uh, Nicole Kidman was kind of like the set winner. Uh, like everyone knew she was going in, winning, going in. I don't remember. Or was or was this kind of up in the air a little bit? I mean, I think she pretty much won the thing she needed to win, right? I guess I would have to look it up real quick. I do know a couple years later, it kind of felt like Renee Zellweger kind of got a makeup win for Cold Mountain because... She didn't get to win for Chicago, which was her her big star turning role. Oh yeah, well, it looks like Renee Zellweger won the SAG. So, oh, I guess I I thought that Nicole Kidman that was like her award because it was the make like the award with all the makeup, not the makeup award. But um, <laughs> yeah, so may, may, yeah, maybe Renee Zellweger was the uh, was the front runner going in, but not really the way I remember it. But I I wasn't paying attention at the time, like you said. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into let's get into going through this uh, this list here. What, what um, any of these guys made your personal list, real quick? Like, if you if we were including them. Well, yeah. I mean, Julianne Moore. I mean, that's like yeah. by far the best performance of that year. So, 
Yeah, I like Julianne Moore and Samuel Hayek for Frida. Those are the two performances I've seen. The other three films I haven't, but I, I love Julianne Moore. You've first never time seen Chicago? Nope. That's on my list to watch sometime this year. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, Nicole I still Kidman won see... the BAFTA and Julianne Moore won the, the Critics' Choice. So it apparently was really wide open. <laughs> okay. And, and it was kind of a toss-up between the two of them, it sounds like. I well, still no, see... I mean, no, because no, it was Zellweger won the SAG. So it was... Oh. There were three of them that were. And you, who you, who'd you say, Julianne Moore? Well, Julianne Moore won the Critics' Choice. Okay. Okay. So what you're saying is I picked a good year. <laughs> yeah, this, this apparently was a pretty good, uh, pretty good race. Uh, I still need to see Far from Heaven. Uh, that will come movie. up. It'll come up later this year. Um, I've recently watched Frida and Unfaithful for the first time. Um, one thing I struggled with is I've seen a decent amount of movies from 2002, but um, I realized doing this, not a whole lot of movies that have a lead female actress in them. And so yeah, uh, it, yeah, was, it made it going really hard. Made it really hard to come up with a good list. So you, I, I've seen, let's see here. I've seen 70 movies from 2002. And, uh, and yeah, I was, I was scraping the bottom of the barrel. Maybe, and part of it was finding good ones, and part of it was finding good ones that I remember that I've seen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think probably after seeing them, Diane Lane, Selma Hayek, Renee Zellweger absolutely deserve to be there. Nicole Kidman, uh, I don't remember a whole lot about the hours. I don't really remember her performance that much, but... um But yeah, that that's that's where I'm at with it. Three Three for sure. And looking what I looking at what I came up with, I uh, it it's a it's not a strong list. Let's just put it that way. So uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's see how this goes. All right, we're gonna start with Adam. You're the one that that put us in this in this pickle. So you get to start us out. Give us your number five for 2002 Best Actress. All right, so I've seen 81 films. That I, I did have a hard time coming up with. I had four pretty set, but the fifth one I kind of had uh, kind of struggled figuring out who I wanted to put in there. Uh, so I went with uh, one with a young person here. I went with Eberlin Sampi from Rabbit Proof Fence. All nice. right. So, uh, so this this is a compelling film here that I haven't. I've only seen one time. It was a long time ago, mind you. So my rating on the website may need to be changed if I do decide to do a rewatch. But I do remember her performance in Rabbit Proof Fence, where she's a uh, roughly like twelve to fourteen year old uh, kid <laughs> trying to help uh, get her her and her sister out and go towards the, like get out of the country in 1931. It's a uh, Oh, three sisters uh, escape after being plucked from their homes to be trained by, as domestic staff and set off on an, a trek across the outback. Uh, very uh, interesting, but really good, solid performance from this lead actress here that I, I don't think she's done too much since. But it's one that I was, I was putting the list together and I came across this film that I watched. and I was like, you know what? That is a really good performance that probably should be talked about. I don't think Robert Proof Fence would be brought up as an anniversary film anytime. So. Uh, well, we should bring it up. So, Everlyn Sampy from Rabbit Proof Fence will be on my number five. I've never All seen right. it. I feel like we could be going through that a lot in this list. <laughs> I, 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 we, we might, we might be doing that a lot. All right, I'll go next. Uh, so, as I went through, I could come up with 
four like decent ones. I would say I've got two good ones, then two more that are decent. And then I had a whole list of ones that I couldn't necessarily remember, but uh, they, they, I, I remember that they existed. And so my <laughs> fifth one was, which one was I going to pick of the ones that I remembered they existed? And so uh, I went with uh, Jennifer Lopez for Made in Manhattan. That's my number five. That's where Never we're going it. on this one. Um, apparently I have. I've I, seen uh, it. Yeah, I've seen it. It it was it was a toss up between Jennifer Lopez and Made Manhattan and uh, Rebecca Romaine for Femme Fatale. Those were my uh, those were my uh, hmm. five five six, and it could have gone either way. Because um, I don't really remember anything about either of those performances, so uh, I went with J Lo. She should be an Oscar nominee by now. Uh, so uh, and she and she owns the rom coms, and she's perfect in those all the time. So I went with it. That's what I got. That's all I got. Todd. Yeah, well, I had Rebecca Romaine as my number five for a hey! <laughs> There we go. <laughs> Shout out to Uncle Rick and his VHS copy that we watched. Absolutely. Uh, I remember part some of this movie. I mean, it's it's the kind of movie that only Brian De Palma can make. It's definitely a little Snake Eyes in there, a little Body Double, it's a Hitchcockian sort of thing. And I think Rebecca Romaine isn't a good actress, but I think she's really good in this because she's got that like Sharon Stone kind of like sexiness like she's like a con artist but she's also got like a doppelganger she's playing two parts i don't know i mean i i sort of remember this movie but this is the one i was just like man i'm gonna have to throw something in there that i either don't remember very well or it's gonna be really uh, embarrassing i'm gonna mention that in the honorable mention because um uh i i mean i sort of have to but i don't know i i remember liking this movie it was sort of seductive and it freaked me out when i first saw it and but even though it's probably been better uh, done better other ways so but yeah Rebecca Romaine and Finn Fatal is my number five and I don't know I haven't seen Made in Manhattan so I can't speak to whether it's better than that so <laughs> there we go I can't speak to it either I don't remember either performance <laughs> but that's what I had to go with all I right love it perfect. mentioned together that's that's perfect yeah Adam number four uh, number four is a performance we've already <laughs> mentioned and that's gonna be Nia Fardalas for my big fat Greek wedding uh, I think it's a film that's definitely deserving of a uh, what is this now, twenty five years, no, twenty year anniversary uh, episode here, either on Daily Notes or the main podcast. It's a fun film. I think the only discrepancy is that they made a sequel for some reason. Uh, They're but, working on the third one right now. Oh God, I oh, heard maybe that not. recently. Anyway, yeah. uh, but at least the TV show. You know, they got rid of the other husband and brought John Cusa or yeah, John John Corbett uh, Bet back anyway. Anyway, but Nia for Dallas here, she's really great in this film. Uh, she's a writer as well on the film, and I, I really like her performance here. I think she brings a lot of comedy. She can be like the Melissa uh, McBride uh, nomination here for the comedy actress. So, there we go. Nice, nice. Have not seen that. That's going to be one of my Oscar watches this year. So it'll be coming up. It's fun. I remember nothing about it. So I'm going to take your word for it. Oompa! Nice. Number four on my list. uh, I am going with uh, Emma Watson for Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, Now, I, I, all right. And this is, this is actually like, I'm, I'm okay with this because I've, uh, so I've got, um, so my kids are starting to work their way through the Harry Potter movies. Um, 
within the last couple of weeks, they just saw the third one for the first time. The and we're like, one. we're like revealing them to them like six months apart as so they can get a little older and, and be a little more, more ready for the, for the other ones. Um, but so I just spent like the last six months watching chamber of secrets at least once a week. Um, and Emma Watson's actually pretty good in it. I mean, this is the one where, uh, where she gets called Mudblood for the first time and she's got, she really has to do some, uh, some good acting work with that as, as she's dealing with the fact that she's basically being called a racial slur by, by Malfoy all the time. Um, she, she's good. I mean, she, she actually is given some stuff to do more than the other two in this one. And, uh, and I don't know. I, I always thought she was she was pretty solid in all of them. So that's my number four, Emma Watson, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And it's probably it's one of my favorite ones too. Like it's oh, top three uh, for me. I, I I like that one a lot. So there you go. Todd, I could four. not differentiate that performance from any of her others, so I did not <laughs> go with it. My number four is uh, Maribel Verdu from E Tu Mama Tambien. And she is uh, playing this. She's like a. She's playing this alluring sort of older woman who has a menage a trois with uh, Diego Luna and Gael G- G- Garcia Bernal, and I think probably Alfonso Cuarón's best movie. I'm not really sure. It's, it's definitely one or two, but um, she sort of you know bears everything and her emotions too. Like a, it's a. It's a. I've been a fan of her this performance for a while, but I don't think I've really seen her do much else. Like I know she was in Pan's Labyrinth, but she. Uh, hasn't she didn't really have as much room to shine as she does in this movie she's she's amazing and sort of hypnotic to watch so i had to include her i think she i yeah she, she would have been right on the fringe if i was uh actually making including the oscar nominees so that's what i'm doing for number four nice nice yeah i haven't seen that one but it's it'll be coming up later this year all right adam number right. three Number three, going back to my horror roots, I have Naomi Watts in The Ring. It's a film that I'll definitely be doing uh, in October. I'll be definitely cannot wait to dive back into the world of the first film in The Ring uh, franchise. Unfortunately, the second one sucks. Uh, but Not the, first the original, one's really good. but the first American one. The American one, because the American one actually is pretty dang good. But uh, Naomi Watts just gives this really compelling performance here as Rachel Keller, Who's trying to unravel this mystery of this uh, this uh, VHS tape? It's before DVDs, kids. Uh, but this VHS tape that kills you in seven days—it's a really great um, adaptation from a, the horror, the original to the American version. Uh, really like the performance here. Uh, I think that this one is uh, one of my—I don't know—I I would I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but from what I remember of it, it's being one of my favorite kind of. Uh, uh, performances in a horror film by a, a bigger name actor. So I know me wants in the ring. Slide aside. I, I was talking to some people yesterday and they were talking about um, watching people uh, deal with the cassette tape for the first time. <laughs> and, uh, and they, they like listened to a song on it and they were trying to figure out how to play the song again and how to go back and listen to it again. And they're like, well, maybe, maybe if we just pull it out and put it back in, it'll start over. Like they couldn't figure out how to start the cassette tape over. It was pretty great. Yeah, we're old. We're old. Nice. All right, number three on my list. Um, I'm I'm going there. Natalie Portman, Attack of the Clones. Um. <laughs> so I think oh, all right. She gives. She does the best she can with what she's given. 
um, which is a horrible script and a very wooden acting partner in Hayden Christensen, who also I think is doing what he can with what with what he has to work with. But I, I always thought she was she was pretty magnetic in that movie, and she always she always kind of is, but she's doing what she can with the limited resources she has, and I didn't have a whole lot of other options. So number three on my list is Natalie Portman for Attack of the Clones. So let's move on. Oscar winner. (laughs) (laughs) Dodd, number three. My number three is, I'm sure you guys haven't seen it. It's Catherine Keener in Lovely and Amazing. Uh, It's a Nicole Hollis Center movie, and she's the perfect for those movies that, uh, it's a, sort of this interlocking story thing, and she has the main role. She and Emily Mortimer are both like phenomenal in this. But uh, she's like this unhappy woman who falls for her teenage coworker, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. And I, honestly, I would watch like Catherine Keener do anything. She's the most like subtle and grounded, believable actor, like I think in the world. And she never overplays anything. She has deserved multiple nominations for Hall of Center movies alone, and uh, this is probably her best performance of her career. That's my number three. Nice. Good call. Nice, nice. Haven't seen right. it. Me Adam, either. number two. All right. So this one, I know that's been seen before by somebody on the podcast, but this is where it's going to be interesting. How do we judge just vocal performances as an Oscar-nominated performance? So I have Rumi Hiragachi for Spirited Away as mm. the lead actress uh, who plays Shiro Ajino from this amazing uh, Studio Ghibli film. It is by far one of those films that they are most notable for. And it has this great performance by uh, Rumi Hiraji that it just gets you invested from the very opening frame to the very ending. It I was immediately compelled after I watched it for the first time at the Grand a few years ago to go buy it from Best Buy and then rewatch it again at home. It, it's just a great performance there. And I got to give my props to some vocal talent, especially an amazing movie as Spirit Away. So definitely have my number two. It's an interesting choice. I don't know that I've ever seen a lead vocal performance in an animated movie singled out by anybody ever. Like it's always like the always supporting, supporting role, like, Eddie Murphy and Shrek, or it's Ellen DeGeneres in Finding Nemo, or Scar you know, Joe Ro- and her, yeah, or Robin Williams in Aladdin, or whatever. It's like it's never the lead. So, but I, I mean, I that's an interesting pick. I like it. It's obviously a, like a perfect movie. So yeah, top one hundred for Adam on Almost Sideways. There we go. <laughs> and coming up later this year for me because I haven't seen it yet. All right, uh, number two on my list. I think these top two are pretty are pretty solid, good performances. And uh, number two is uh, Jodie Foster in Panic Room. Merlot. Oh, there we go. So that's coming up later. All right, Todd, number two. My number two is one you guys probably haven't seen. It's Emmanuel Davos in Read My Lips, which is directed by Jacques Audiard, uh, who is one of the best French directors. Yes, and... Uh, I see what you guys are doing with that. Nicely done. <laughs> she plays read this... my lips. I was saying I n- I've never seen that movie. That's what I was saying. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, she, she plays like this, like almost deaf uh, lady, and she like she's a sort of like overlooked, bullied office worker, and uh, 
she uh, plays opposite Vincent Cassell, who is also great in this movie. But it's a really co- complex character. Like she's like learning from him. He's like a ex con or something, and she's like sort of teaching her to uh, get respect in the workplace by like uh, uh, adopting bad habits or something like that. But uh, I wouldn't necessarily have thought about this if I hadn't actually had it written down in my original rankings of this. But uh, I do remember this movie and. Uh, I guess I had to put it on there. And um, even though I don't necessarily remember everything about the performance, but Emmanuel Devos, and I've never seen her do anything else, but read my lips. That's my number two. Would, would this have made your, uh, your top five regular? Yeah, well, it, it was, it was on my list. That's why, oh. I, but I don't remember necessarily okay. It, okay. that. Well, I probably wouldn't have thought of it or even remembered to put the actress on there. I, I, I forget, did you say how many of these are actually in your top five? I think it's two. It's, it's like two, two or three. Okay. Along with what, Julianne Moore and Yeah, I have Julianne Moore and like Julianne Moore. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, but the other ones, it was Salma Hayek is right at number five or six. Okay. Okay. All right. Adam, number one, tell us about Jodie Foster and Panic Room. Yeah, Jodie Foster, another movie that I definitely need to do a Daily Notes episode on because I really liked this movie quite a bit. And I think that she does a really good job as his mother who's trying to protect her kid from in, in burglars. But an all star cast as well with Chris, young Kristen Stewart. We had Jared Leto, Forrest Whitaker. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a really great uh, cast, really cool premise of a film too. It has some suspense there. Jodie Foster does a really good good job. Uh, she does the brave ones shortly after this. If I remember, maybe it's a few <laughs> years after that. But yeah, kind of where I first was introduced with Jodie Foster was from this movie. I uh, no, sorry, scratch that. Science of the Lambs, and then there was this movie. I think I watched those pretty closely together. Uh, but anyway, jo- Jodie Foster is fantastic. And what else do you have to say, Terry? Yeah, I would say uh, this is probably like Fincher's most pedestrian movie. Um, but it it just is one that, yeah, it's good. It exists, but it, it's nothing special. Mm. Um, with that said, Jodie Foster does bring a lot to that to that role. Uh, and the chemistry between her and Kristen Stewart in it is really good. Um, and uh, I, I, I would say this compares uh, very well to like her performance in Flight Plan. I think they're very they're very similar oh, that, movies, yeah. very similar premises, very similar performances of um, of her protecting her family in extraordinary circumstances. So, um, but yeah, that no, she's she's good. She's really Flight good. Flight Plan was the one that I was meaning to. I think Brave One came out like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, around yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flight yeah. Plan, I think, was oh five. Yeah, it was shortly right? after that. Oh five, oh six, something like Ish. that. Yeah. All one right. of them, it was either Flight Plan or Red Eye. One of those, like, oh. they came out with, like, in successive, like, Februarys or something. Yeah, but, yeah, Red Eye was... That must that have been was, Rachel McAdams. Yeah, Rachel McAdams and Killian Murphy. But they're both thrillers on a plane that came out in, like, February. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know when Flight Plan came out, honestly. My number one. Uh, so I look back, um, I don't keep a... I don't keep it anymore, but I used to keep like Todd does of who would be my award winners every year. And I look back, I'm like, did I keep a 2002 list? And I did. Um, 
and I had one and I haven't updated it in a long time, but number one on that is, is the number one I'm saying here. And, uh, that is Jennifer Aniston for the good girl. Nice. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I don't remember a ton about this movie. Another Jake uh, Gyllenhaal supporting role. <laughs> yeah. Another Jake Gyllenhaal supporting role, uh, written by Mike White. Uh, this would have been before school of rock. Uh, he's also in the movie. Um, I'm, I'm staring at his face in the still from the trailer on IMDb right now. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's like I, what I remember about it is it, it's a very small indie movie. She plays a, a grocery store cashier uh, that is just frustrated with her life. I believe she's married to um, to John C. Riley in this and just doesn't like where her life is going and meets Jake Gyllenhaal. And he he kind of revitalizes her a little bit and. It's this really small indie movie that she made uh, in the middle of the height of her run on Friends, and she showed that she could do something different. She could act and and uh, and and be beyond Rachel Green from Friends, and uh, it's a brilliant performance, and it's a really good movie. I I need to go back and rewatch it because, like I said, it's been a really long time, but um, really good movie, really good cast, um, and yeah. Great performance. So yeah, Jennifer Aniston, the good girl. That's my number one. Nice. That's a good one. That's one I have not seen yet. Yeah, I remembered almost nothing about that, so I didn't include it. But I, it was definitely one that I was uh, thinking about and wishing I could actually talk about intelligently. So good job, Terry. I, I tried. <laughs> I don't remember a ton about it, but I, I do know it was a quality enough performance that I, it, it was my number one. Who directed that movie? Uh, it was Miguel Ortega. Oh, okay. That makes yeah, sense. Written, written by Mike White. All right. My number one is Maggie Gyllenhaal in Secretary, which ah, was like the adult original Fifty Shades sort of like fad thing. Um, she's like this mentally unstable woman who takes a job at a as a secretary for James Spader's like law firm and she sort of gets turned on by how abusive he is to her so they start this like SM relationship kind of thing and now she's like this like Gyllenhaal's like this fil- hotshot filmmaker actress she's been nominated for both things but I don't think I'll, I'll ever be topped in my head for what I first saw because it's the first time I ever saw her in anything uh I, like what she did in this I, I was just like blown away by like it's outright like disturbing at times but she's also sort of heartbreaking and she's also really kind of sexy and interesting uh it, the movie's also kind of funny and you know it, like james spader is a, a very singular kind of like weirdo and she absolutely matches him in every moment and this is a great movie and a great performance i like it i like it I need to see that one. I have not seen that one yet. Yeah, I feel like that should have had a resurgence when Fifty Shades was like at its peak. But yeah, probably. All right. Well, let's count this down five to one and then uh, go over any honorable mentions before we try and guess Zach's list. This should be fun. I forgot about that. All right. uh, Adam, give us your five to one. Number five, Everlyn Sampy for Robert Fruit Vince. Four, Nia Fardalas for My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Three, Naomi Watts The Ring. Two, uh, Rumi Hiragachi for Spirited Away. One, Jodie Foster for Panic Room. And for me, number five, I guess, Jennifer Lopez for Made in Manhattan. Number four, Emma Watson, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. 
Uh, number three, Natalie Portman, Attack the Clones. Number two, Jodie Foster, Panic Room. Number one, Jennifer Aniston, The Good Girl. Todd. Number five, Rebecca Romaine. I think it was Stamos at the time for Femme <laughs> I think Fatale. you're right. Uh, number four, Maribel Verdu for Itsuma Ma Tambien. Number three, Catherine Keener for Lovely and Amazing. Number two, Emmanuel Devos for Read My Lips. And number one, Maggie Gyllenhaal for Secretary. Adam, any uh, honorable mentions? Yes, I got uh, Mila Kunis for American Psycho 2. Uh, Mila <laughs> wow. Jonovich for Resident Evil. Uh, Mandy Moore for A Walk to Remember. Oh, and boy. Jennifer Lopez for either Made in Manhattan or Enough, which is probably the better movie. Probably, she, uh, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I had very, I had almost the exact same thing. I had Mila Jovovich, <laughs> Resident Evil, Rebecca Romain, Fame Fatale, um, Mandy Moore, Walk to Remember, and the only other one I had written down, and I almost put it on my list because it's one I could actually, I actually remember and could talk about, but it's a horrible performance. That's Halle Berry and Die Another Day. So wow. That's not really a bleed. I mean, it, it, that's what time. that's what I was working with. Okay, it's what I was working with. All right, Todd. Uh, one I would have had on there, but it's not. It was a TV movie, and that's Uma Thurman and Hysterical Blindness. Uh, it was a movie that blew me away when I watched it. I, I love that movie, uh, but I couldn't. I couldn't include it. And else that probably would have been one or two. Uh, and then I also had Leslie Manville in Mike Lee's movie All or Nothing. Allison Lohman, who I'm like the biggest fan of in the world, in this movie called The White Oleander. Parker Posey in Personal Velocity Three Portraits. Um, Kate Blanchett in Heaven. I don't necessarily remember the movie, but I felt like I saw a Kate Blanchett lead performance that year. I probably should mention it. Maybe that's the exact thing to say. I don't know. Um, and then <laughs> I also one thing I, I also wanted to mention, I almost put it number five, but it would be really embarrassing is Shannon Sossaman in 40 Days and 40 Nights because she's not necessarily the lead and it's not necessarily a good movie. I mean, it's probably kind of a bad movie, but I've seen it quite a bit. And she I think she is interesting in it, uh, but she also had the rules of attraction that year as the lead. So I don't know. It was like on the verge of being like, do I include this like sort of like Razzie worthy movie? Uh, I decided against it, but I, in my heart, that's number five. Cause I do low key, like, like that movie and seen it like probably 15 times. There we go. Never seen that one. However, I'm kind of bummed that Shannon Sossman never became anything like after, after like a night's tale, I was like, Oh man, she has a shot to be something. And then she just never materialized. It was her and uh, uh, Asia Argento were like in the exact same boat. They were like the early 2000s and they never did anything. It was sort of disappointing. That sucks. Yeah. Well, wasn't Asia Argento was one of the was one of the Weinstein girls, right? Like she got blackballed. Yeah, but she was also the director of a, or the daughter of a famous director. So that's I, true too. That's true too. She had she had other connections also. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Zach's list. Since okay, he's so the one that's talk not about here, this because yeah, let's talk about. Are we talking Zach about this? It's not easy. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I, I had to go through every single movie on our website to just I did the find same something. thing. So, if you ever talk to Zach about uh, what the best performances of a year are, he does not understand the difference between a good movie and a good performance. Like he, he'll say, you know, uh, all five of my best supporting actors in 1996 are all from Fargo. Which means that he actually thinks that John Carroll Lynch's like one scene is better than Edward Norton in Primal Fear. Like in his head, it's better because it was in a better movie. So, and his top 
10 of the year should reflect his top best actresses, but they don't have lead actress performances in them except for the ones that were nominated. So this makes this very difficult because... Well, maybe one of them, but I don't know. I don't know. It, I don't... It, Zach does not... Uh, he either doesn't take this seriously or he... Uh, or he's just full of shit all the time, which I think is probably both of them. This and that could describe this podcast, honestly. <laughs> so we, we, let's go with this. Adam, what do you what do you got for Zach's list? Uh, number five, Everland Sempe for Rabbit Proof Fence, because I know we've seen it. Uh, four, Jodie Foster, Panic Room. Uh, three, America Ferreira for Real Women Have Curves. Uh, two, Rosanna Flores for Talk to Her. And one, Andrea Kasker for Kedman. Nice. Wow, your list is very similar to mine. Uh, number number five, Evan Rachel Wood for Little Secrets. Uh, <laughs> number four, uh, I couldn't figure out who the lead for Ken Kedma was, so I went with Cindy Barr. Um, <laughs> number three, America Ferrera, Real Women Have Curves. Number two, Everlyn Sampy, Rabbit Proof Fence. Uh, and number one, Rosario Flores, talk to her. Wow, <laughs> that's fun. I just, yeah, the Kedman one. I was like, well, she was listed first, so maybe I, I went with Cindy Barr because she was the only, she was the first actress that had a picture on on the <laughs> that's on the a cast good list. Point too. Yeah, that's good point. <laughs> There's no female lead in talk to her. Um, oh, I'd see. I but I don't know. Okay, well, humor. also Zach does not care about screen time. So number five, I have Hilary Swank in Insomnia. Because oh, I know he apparently thinks that's Christopher Nolan's best movie inexplicably. Uh, uh, number four, Everlyn Sampy for Rapper Food Fence. Number three, America Ferreira for Rural Women Have Curves. Number two, Sophie Vava Sewer for Evelyn. And uh, <laughs> that was a Zach pronunciation. <laughs> and number one, uh, Jodie Foster for Panic Room. <laughs> I like America Ferreira. All three of us put that as number three. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> Can you say that one more time, Don? <laughs> Evelyn. Sylvie Vavasur for Evelyn? <laughs> you need to put that as a little snippet. Now. Oh, my word. Oh. oh, my word. I haven't half laughed that hard since I was a little girl. Thank you. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Clearly we have an clear. audio clip. Here is Zach revealing. His list. Bullshit. Okay. His... <laughs> Are you concerned about the security of your, of your shit? shit. <laughs> oh, oh, my word. Okay. Here we go. Here is Adam's top five. Zach's top five. I'm Not sorry. Adam. Used Good to grief. Sing. I just yeah. kind of slipped into. Yeah. Auto, yeah. auto, auto mode. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Hold. Yeah, I, I see Adam's I ridiculousness that. as usual. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here we go. If you had an updated list of Zach's movies, because I feel like Jody, like a uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, could be on his list. True. It's possible. It's possible. Okay, here we go. All right, now we get to the fun part. Two thousand two actresses who were not nominated uh, that year by the Oscars. We all know Julianne Moore gave uh, one of the greatest performances of all time. So it's kind of tough thinking about uh, other actresses from that year. Tough year, man. I mean. 01 and 03 had a lot more choices. You guys had to pick 02. Uh, so be it. Uh, good luck. Okay, my honorable mentions, and this gives you an, an indication of what a weak year it was. I got Monica Bellucci in Irreversible. 
Um, Everlyn Sampy in Rabbit Proof Damn Friends. It. She no! And again, props if you guys actually got that. Uh, if you've ever heard of Pro- Rabbit Proof Friends, Jody Foster in Panic Room, and yes, J-Lo in Maine Manhattan. Again, we hear. <laughs> All right, number Damn, five nice. is My number one's gone. Emily Duquesne in The Housekeeper. Uh, really great uh, French movie, Total Zach movie, uh, that you guys probably haven't heard of. Number four, Agnes Bruckner in Blue Car. I think a That's movie that Terry uh, recently reviewed. She's awesome. Don't really know what happened to her, but uh, great, great performance. Uh, number three, America Ferrera. Uh, no, real women have curves. Movie I don't particularly remember well, but I did see it in the theater, and obviously number three it even. her career uh, and her going into great entertainment like Sisterhood of Traveling Pants. Number two, Audrey Tattoo in He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not. Again, I don't think anyone's seen it, but really awesome movie. I actually think she's better in this movie than she is in Amelie. It's a trickier role. It's a role that is uh, more diabolical and has a lot of layers to it. And then the number one non-Julianne Moore lead actress performance of 2002 is a movie that I know Todd really enjoys. It is Kate Dolenmayer as Marnie in Funny Ha Ha. And I got to say, Funny Ha Ha... Uh, is uh, <laughs> The Strummer of 2002. It is an extraordinary movie, and it did kind of launch, in some ways, the Mumblecore movie, and it's still my mum- favorite Mumblecore movie, and uh, I'd love to do a deep dive on it sometime. Kate Dolenmayer is electric and magnetic in that movie and is probably closer to uh, beating out Julianne Moore than I'd like to admit. So there is my top five, and uh, congratulations, Todd, for winning. Those are two, oh. two two movies that were not 2002 movies. Hey man, we got uh, I got three mentioned. Well, I mean, we could have predicted that though. Like he was gonna have he he is horrible in knowing what what your movies come from. Yeah, I had three movies but, mentioned uh, too. They're all honorable mentions. No, except for I, America Ferrera, that was third. Yeah, third for everybody. We all said it was gonna be third. How did that happen? Um, we haven't been this, this unanimous since, since Captain Miller for my number one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way back when, flashback. Or no, no, we we were all we were all this unanimous for uh, you having the red shoes number one in uh, in movies with the color in the title. Yeah, that's true, true, true. Yeah. Um, okay, so here here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's what I'm gonna say. Um, we didn't know what we were gonna do with the winner of this because. Uh, Zach still is picking the next category because it's his category. Uh, we all got one. It's all in the right spot. I say we all get a point, and uh, Zach picks the next category. And the points don't matter. Well, he the already is picking. The, he already picked the next category. I know yeah. exactly. Exactly. I don't know. I feel like Adam and I should both get a half a point because we both got two honorable mentions. You? What did you get? You got. Well, so did Terry, Rabbit though. Proof Fence and Panic Room. Oh, yeah. I didn't get Panic Room. But I, I, he said Made in Manhattan, though. Like, that was on my list. I say we all get a, a, a one and a half points. One and a half? And a half. Yeah, how, we all get one and a half. throwing out four and a half <laughs> hey, points on how this many points one is Terry down? Terry gets that. Todd gets one. I get one. Yeah, I'm giving Terry a half point because that'll actually get him off the half points, and Adam and I both get a point. Oh, there we go, there we go. Okay, hell yeah, I got to make it up to do against my own list. Your your least, I know your least favorite thing is to say, "All right, that is so and so's thirty for thirty one and a half point." Yes, exactly. (laughs) Perfect. So now I have forty one. Zach 
should lose a point, but he's got a 26. Terry has 25. And Adam goes back up to one. We'll see how long that point lasts. Before Just I get sick of having to say How many points has he been up to before? Like, hasn't he been up to like two or three points and then we, we gave them all away? Uh, well, I, I think Ben had like a point and a half at one point, And Adam, Man. I think he's probably had a total of like three or four. Yeah, but uh, we always get rid of them because I get sick of saying four people's scores. Yeah. Even though I'm the only one. Oh, keeping, wow. Okay. Keeping cool. You are the only one keeping score. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we All right. Do more of these lists because these, this is fun kind of demonstration of how uh, maybe the Oscars got it right. <laughs> and we did. Uh, well, yeah. I, I, I think you go back that far. It's hard. I would say it's hard to do lead, especially lead actress. Actors yeah. a lot easier. And either of the supporting categories would be easier because you can always remember a supporting performance from any movie. But um, and that's you why I put so Hillary Swank in there because she's obviously not the lead, but that is totally something he would say is the lead because she's on the front cover or something. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> All right, moving on to trivia time. Okay. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. And Todd won last time. He assigned some stuff to watch. Uh, he assigned something to me and something to Zach. Uh, we do have Zach's report on what he had to watch. Uh, but I'm going to go first since I'm the one that's here and I'm the host and I get to do whatever I want. Um, so. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. It, yeah. Breaking news. That's I'm how it excited. Works. I'm excited to hear what you say about this movie, Terry. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this came up, was it two weeks ago, I think? Or was it last? I don't remember when we reviewed Hustle. But uh, when we reviewed Hustle, Todd said that Hustle is the basketball version of Trouble with the Curve. And oh, I hadn't okay, seen it yet. And so Todd had had me watch. Uh, what's really funny is this is the... So I go through... I've got a whole bunch of DVDs I haven't watched yet. And I, I go through them like in order of like the most recent and kind of work my way through. And this is the second time Todd has assigned me the next most recent DVD I own that I haven't watched. It's a baseball movie. How did you not just like turn this on? I I don't know. I don't know. I was, I I, I have it. I had it sitting next to my DVD player waiting for the next opportunity to play it. Um, But the first time you did this was end of watch. And now you did it with trouble Mm. with the curve. Um, So yeah, trouble with the curve uh, written by Randy Brown, directed by Robert Lorenz, uh, a frequent uh, co- uh, collaborator and uh, kind of worked under Clint Eastwood a lot. And this is why Clint Eastwood kind of came out of retirement for this movie. He'd always said Gran Torino was his last, but instead he decided to be in a movie that wasn't directed by him, which is like the first time he did this since in the line of fire in 1991. Yeah. 93. So this is kind of a 93. I was one of them. Uh, I knew it was 91 or 93. Anyways, this is kind of a big deal. And since then, he's continued to act. So it was kind of full of crap to begin with. But uh, yeah, Trouble with the Curve, it stars uh, Clint Eastwood as Gus, who is a baseball scout uh, touring around the Carolinas uh, as a scout for uh, the Atlanta Braves. Uh, His daughter is Mickey, played by Amy Adams, who is a hotshot lawyer trying to become partner in her firm. Uh, and it's got a really cool cast. Uh, you also have Justin Timberlake who comes along uh, after not too long as a uh, as a former pitcher who has hurt his arm and is now uh, working as a scout and starting to learn the trade a little bit from Gus. John Goodman plays uh, Gus's supervisor. 
is in everything that year, by the way. Who was it just in everything that year? Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, you also have like Matthew Lillard and uh, a couple other guys. And I'm trying to look on the cast list here that I can't find. Um, it was great to see uh, Chelsea Ross in this because he just seems to be in every sports movie. Um, yeah. Uh, he, whether whether he's on the mound for the Cleveland Indians and in, in Major League or he's uh, getting kicked out of basketball practice by uh, by coach Norman Dale and Hoosiers. Um, he's, he's just kind of always there anyways. So, uh, so Gus, he's getting old. He's his eyesight's going, but he's still out on the road. And, uh, John Goodman calls, uh, his daughter Mickey to see if she would go on this trip to look, look at this prospect in high school that they're looking at potentially drafting with the number two overall pick. And you see the family dynamic between the two of them. And you also see, uh, where Justin Timberlake's character plays a role in the whole thing. Uh, the first thing I saw of thought of as I was watching this uh, within like the first five to 10 minutes of it, I went, Holy crap. Clint Eastwood is playing my grandfather. Um, because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because he, he is this guy. He's obsessed with baseball. He is so, so ridiculously stuck and set in his ways in some things. Uh, he was, he, uh, I mean, I, I, I miss him to death because we would always have great debates uh, especially about baseball because he had this way of once he had an opinion about who someone was, it was stuck and he, you could never break that opinion. And it especially went for baseball players. And that's exactly what Clint Eastwood is. Um, like he, he's standing by his prospects and like the one guy's not hitting. He's like, Oh, he just needs, he just needs his parents to come visit. We got to pay for that. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and it's like, I mean, that, that's some, that's something, that's something Papa would say. So good. Um, good call. Yeah, yeah, or or uh, I mean, just ev- like everything out of his mouth in the like, bl- blaming the the uh, garage for shrinking for why he's hitting the hitting it with his car on the way out of the out of the out of the garage. I mean, it's it's our grandfather to a T. Um, anyways, so uh, as it starts out, I felt like it was a little. Um, it feels almost a little dated and cliche. Uh, it, it felt a little um, like I feel like especially in, in terms of like sports movies and baseball movies were a little past what this is trying to what this is trying to do and what this is trying to say. And so it almost it, it felt like it was trying to be an older movie um, where this movie really starts to get going is when you start to see some of the interrelationships, uh, especially between those main three. Um, the really the the movie really starts to take off when Justin Timberlake shows up uh, because he is, uh, as I was watching this, uh, my wife is the one that mentions like he can be convincing as pretty much anything. Can't he? And and I said, yeah, yeah, he can. Because I mean, the fact, I mean, he's out, out there as a, as a former baseball player now, now as a scout, I mean, it totally fits and he's trying to be uh, become a broadcaster. It, it works and he's great in that role. Um, and then, and the relationship that starts to develop between him and Amy Adams, I mean, you see it coming a mile away and that's fine. Uh, the title of the movie is a spoiler for the entire film. Um, you have, uh, Lone uh Survivor. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> like that. You have, um, you have finally, you eventually you get the conversation between Amy Adams and Clint Eastwood that you've been waiting the entire movie for that you knew exactly how it was going to go. It's a it's a fun movie. 
it's got a lot of good stuff going on. Uh, you see exactly what's going to happen from the very beginning. You know where this is going. You know how it's all going to play out. Um, Just like, like I said, it. I mean, yes, but at least that one felt a little more. Hustle was a little more about the process and about the the actual like what's going on. This one is more about the interrelationship stuff, and it. I, I don't know. I feel like Hustle has more respect for the game it's talking about than Trouble with the Curve does. Trouble, or and maybe it's just like I said. Maybe it's just the fact that it's ten years old, and the and the way it's talking about the game has changed so much in the last ten years. So like, yeah, it's a post Moneyball movie for sure. It, it's it's it is a it is like in the heat of Moneyball movie instead of being a post Moneyball movie. Like that's what I feel like. Like it's like it's a movie that's fighting against Moneyball instead of. Okay, Moneyball is 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 a thing now. I don't know. Um, it's it feels like it's still educating on Moneyball. I don't know. I'm giving it. I'm giving it two and a half. Uh, I I I kind of want to give it three because, like I said, there's a lot of really fun stuff going on with uh, with especially once you get to the relationships and especially Amy Adams and Justin Timberlake. But it's just a little too cliche. You see everything coming way too much, and it is a it it feels a little too dated. Like if I had seen this in 2012, I feel like it was a three star movie. But I'm not. I'm seeing it now, so I'm going two and a half. I feel like you don't like Clint Eastwood as an actor. I'm okay with Clint Eastwood as an actor. I, I think he does. I think he does a serviceable job here. I don't. I, I think just what what he's working with it doesn't work anymore like when you're talking okay. about like a like like this is one of those things like it's a it's like uh watching top gun maverick after fighter pilots are a thing of the past 20 years from now it's like well i mean yeah but you don't have 80 year old scouts wandering the the carolina league anymore looking for looking for baseball players that that can hear when a player can't has trouble with the curve. I mean that that's not a thing anymore. And it probably wasn't a thing then either. Well, that's true too. Which again, I mean that's that's another that's another thing. It's like this doesn't make. That's why it, he was an old person. That's why he wasn't like, I like a, just some baseball savant or something. Yeah, I don't I, know. I, don't know. I, I I I like the movie. I've probably seen that movie five or six times. I, it's, it's I'd watch it bit... again. I'd watch it again. Yeah, it's super entertaining. And like and like uh Zach said when we reviewed Hustle, he's like, he's like, oh I'm I would rather watch a movie with Adam Sandler as a scout than Clint Eastwood as a scout, but the movie is an Amy Adams movie. It's not a Clint Eastwood movie. So I don't know. I mean I always thought that was a little ridiculous because obviously he hasn't seen this movie either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I and I agree. It is an it is an Amy Adams movie and as I was watching it, I was one of the things I was thinking was that was like Amy Adams in her prime, and I think we may be are are we past an opportunity of giving Amy Adams an Oscar? It's going to be a supporting Oscar at some point. I think so. Yeah, yeah, we are past her arrival. Was probably her. <laughs> that was her. That was her best she shot. Didn't not, she didn't get nominated. Well, and 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 this was right in the in the heart of her getting all sorts of stuff. Like she had doubt a couple years before this, and I mean it. 
she the had same year as the master i mean yeah same, this was oh, yeah, this same was year as a master the heart um, of her stardom for the sure fighter was her had she hadn't was nominated for that a couple years before too i mean yeah this was this was her her shot and so it's gonna be it's gonna be one of those she's gonna have to find the right role kind of like kate winslet did when she finally got hers or julianne moore or, or julianne whatever moore, yeah. but that, i mean that'd be way later i guess I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't know how how old any Amy Adams is right now. So, uh, let's look this up. She's probably forty, maybe. Let's say forty-five. So I'm going with. She, okay, she was born nineteen seventy-four, so she's eleven years older than me. So she's forty-eight. Whoa. Yeah. So yeah. So I mean, it would be. <laughs> or forty-seven. She's gonna turn forty-eight in, uh, in August. Yeah, so maybe in like 10 years or something, she'll get that supporting role as the grandmother or something. <clears throat> Nominated for six Oscars. But hasn't been nominated. Well, see, she was nominated 05 for Junebug and then 08, 2010, 2012, 2013 for Doubt, Fighter, Master, American Hustle, and then Vice in 2018. She was snubbed for Arrival. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyways, and the vice nomination was ridiculous. So she hasn't had like a like a serious nomination. Well, and the American Hustle nomination was kind of came out of nowhere too. So she hasn't had a serious nomination since 2012. <clears throat> Just sad. Yeah. She's so good. All right. Anyways, that's a that's my my thoughts on Trouble with the Curve. And then when they finally say the title, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, anyways. Okay. Now, you two are definitely going to be interested in uh, in our next review here, because our next review is from Zach. And Todd had Zach finally watch a movie that is uh, a top 10 movie for Adam. It's a top what movie for Todd? Was it in your know. top 100? It was in my top 100. I don't okay. have to look up where it is. So top 100. Uh, and uh, it's already been mentioned once today. It's the Red Shoes. And so we're going to hear what Zach has to think about the Red Shoes. So I still haven't seen this. But anyways, here we go. This is the Red Shoes. Okay, this is my review of the Red Shoes, the Powell and Pressburger movie from 1948 which also apparently ranks number 57 on Todd's top 100. Number 10 there it is. on Adam's top 100. Wow. So this has been a movie that Todd has been urging me to see for a while. It's heralded as one of the great British movies, one of the great movies about performance um, and dance and choreography. Uh, one of Powell and Pressburger's great movies. They were pretty important British directors. Uh, and Martin Scorsese has credited it as one of his the most formative movies that he ever watched. His editor, Thelma Schoonmacher, was married to Michael Powell, um, and so, yeah, it's, I'm overdue for watching this movie. Now, I gotta say, I'm not a huge, uh, dance person, you know, the Busby Berkeley movies and the, you know, the Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers movies, I, they're not that terribly interesting to me, I don't know, I mean, I guess it's cool, it's certainly better than CGI, and the dancing in this movie is good, um, but it's 
fairly routine in a lot of ways. I think the, the performances <laughs> are, are really nice. I have to look up the names of the actors because I don't really know them. Maura Shearer as, uh, what's her name? Uh, Vicky, Victoria, not Miles' ex-wife. A interesting connection there. Uh, she is Vicky, and then the guy, Julian, who's the, the, the uh, sort of uh, writer of the... Uh, uh, let's see, am I getting that? Yes, Julian Craster, played by Marius Goring, of course, very memorable. Um, they have a love affair, and Boris Lermontov, played by Anton Walbrook, is the enigmatic uh, curator, director of the ballet. Look, uh, like I said, it's kind of standard fare. Uh, I think you could have done without the first 45 minutes of this movie. It's kind of silly setup and exposition. The main reason to watch this movie is the 18-minute bravura dance number of the Red Shoes in the middle of the movie. It's like the movie stops and then just becomes this weird, surreal, kind of, it's almost like subjective camera. You go into the character's mindset in a way. They take out the stage. It actually becomes like you're living in the world of the character that she's playing on stage. That shit was cool, okay? And, of course, Scorsese loves that scene. And of course, you can actually watch that and see its resemblance, particularly in Raging Bull. You know, the idea of uh, the camera kind of speeding up at times and then the camera kind of doing the swish pan moving around and kind of being weightless and uh you know scorsese talked about how on raging bull he had no interest in, in boxing and he didn't really have any interest in uh, ballet either but the filmmaking is what captivated it and so uh I, I would agree with that those sequences are good i have no idea why adam and, and todd love this movie so much um it's fine you know it's again it's not really my taste i can see its cinematic reference points i can see maybe it's importance in the history of British cinema. Powell and Pressburger, I really like their Peeping Tom. Like, the, that was the movie that kind of made late in their career in the early 60s. That movie is awesome. But other than that, you know, they're kind of like the Merchant and Ivory, I think, of the 1940s. I, I could kind of give or take. I know that's that's, her that, that's heresy and Todd's probably rolling his eyes, but I'm sorry. I give it three stars. It's a solid movie. I'm glad I watched it. I think if you really want a great ballet movie, go to a movie that is in my top 100, which is Robert Altman's The Company from 2003. That movie really shines a light on, again, art versus life, performance, dedication, um, and it's also a lot funnier than this movie is. So, again, three stars, out of respect, enjoyed the 18-minute sequence, but other than that, meh, passable. So, if it was funnier, three and a half stars. Yes, it was funnier. Just like if Black Swan was funnier, it would be... This is... I don't know. I mean... <laughs> This is this is this is Zach. Where it's like, okay, this is a movie that I obviously know is a masterpiece, but I don't necessarily like it. So I'm going to compare it to another movie that I'm going to say I don't like. That's a masterpiece, like Raging Bull, and I'm going to make a connection there that makes no sense, and then I'll pass that off as my review. Good job, Zach. To I quote think the it's Black Phone, he's an idiot, but he's our idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, yeah. he's my idiot exactly <laughs> uh, I, I think it's interesting alright Zach kind of prides himself in being a uh, a film snob and he likes to portray himself as that for being a film snob Zach hates old movies <laughs> have you noticed that? Yeah. oh yeah like, yeah, like, especially like, not like, like this new newly born non-pretentious Zach like that was Zach when I was in film school and I like bullshit or whatever. Yeah. No, I don't like this film from the 40s that other people like. I need to be different. And so I'm going to say, no, you, instead you need to watch a 2003 movie. That's that's the preeminent film on dancing. Not 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 the uh, the film from the 40s that's been studied for the last 80 years. No, no, no. Watch. Yeah. 
<laughs> I still haven't seen it. I need to watch it, but uh, that that's an observation I just had with that. Is he he, he for a, for a film snob? He really hates old movies. <laughs> All his, right. His way of retaining his film snobbiness is giving us film history in his review and saying why it doesn't doesn't add up. Yes, good job. I, we have we have talked more Zach shit on this podcast than ever before, and we always say it to his face. Like we're not afraid to say it to his face, but the fact that he's not here to interrupt us while we're saying it has led to yeah, some, he, some. He's really not going to Charlie Day and whine his way into our into our uh, bullshit talk about him. Yeah. I'm just glad I've met the guy now. Okay. Todd, what are we doing for trivia? All right, we have two categories, and these are categories you both should be pretty good at. Um, oh, God, thank God. No, and they have nothing to do with each other. So do you want the movie or sports category first? I'll let Adam pick. Whatever, uh, movie. Go ahead. Okay, movie category. So we are going with actors who have been in a both a Star Wars movie and a Marvel movie. Not, not MCU necessarily, just Marvel movies. Uh, there are 18 actors and actresses who have been in both a Star Wars movie and a Marvel movie. Star Wars movie. Yes, a Star Wars movie and a Marvel movie. The uh, the TV shows do not count. TV shows don't count. Okay. Yeah, um, so I wrote, uh, for your names, I wrote T and A, which seems appropriate. And I wrote, <laughs> for T is first. So I guess I'll start with Terry. <laughs> How about Natalie Portman? Well, Natalie Portman one. is on the list. Uh, Benicio del Toro. Uh, del Toro, sorry. Benicio del Toro is correct. That's a good one. I didn't have that one. Lupita Nyong'o. That is good also one. correct. You guys are going obscure. That one was pretty obscure. <laughs> both of both of those are obscure. Those last two. Damn. Okay. I'm gonna say... I go. You have to hum the music to yourself in order to get in the mood. <laughs> Stay sharp, Adam. <laughs> Damn, dude. I hate trivia. Apparently. Four. Uh, let's go with three, two. There are some huge ones you're missing. What, Adam Driver? That's wrong. That is that is wrong. That's way wrong. If Terry doesn't have one, then I'll let you have a mulligan. Terry, <sighs> Terry can keep going. There are fifteen more, including one that has been in. I don't know, probably like four. Star Wars movies and probably 12 or 13 or maybe even 20 Marvel movies. I'm not sure. Holy crap. Um, Five. Four. Oh, oh Samuel three. Jackson. Yeah, oh my god. Adam, I'll let Adam go again because that was a pretty big hint. Yeah, it was a real that was a really big hint. Jeez, please, man. Five. <laughs> Three. We we know trivia is never my my Two. on the spot trivia. Um, it's okay, but this is your category. 
this is my category that I picked, and uh, we're gonna go with. Well, I know Oscar Isaac would be one, but he's on. He's been in a TV show, not a movie. Um, that is correct. What? He was in uh, Apocalypse. Oh, okay. I told I was thinking MCU the whole time. Oh. I just said I said not MCU. Marvel. I said Marvel. Okay, there we go. Oscar Isaac. Yeah, there we go. Oh, well, that changes things a little bit. Apparently listening. Yeah. My wife has always said I was a bad listener. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you tuned out when, when I was saying the rules. Yes, yeah, that's always yeah. a good way to go. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It's a okay. bold move, Cotton. Bold man, move. man. Well, now I still have nothing. Um, Five. <laughs> uh, gosh. Three. Okay. Um, oh, oh. Oh, uh, no, that's wrong. I always get, um, I always get what, what are the, uh, Dane DeHaan and, uh, and, uh, Nicholas Holt mixed up. Like, like I'm going to not the same person. They're not the same person, but they should be the same person. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I'm going to say John Favreau. That is correct. (laughs) I don't have it written down what he was in. In uh, Star Wars, but I think it was uh, voice work or something. Hmm. Let's go with. Oh uh, no! Oh, he he was in the looks like the Clone Wars movie. Oh gosh! Wow. Okay. Jeez, Louise. Because it's gonna be the obscure people that you're not gonna really think of. Too much. Um... Oh, Andy Serkis. That is correct. His name is Circus, by the way. Well, Andy, Andy Circus. Andy Circus. Oh, I've got one. Bloomhouse. I don't know his freaking name. <laughs> exactly. Bloomhouse. <laughs> I know, I know the characters he plays in both of them, but I don't know what the actor's name is. Um, oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, you do. I'm sure you do. Um, can I say the characters and get like half a point and stay in? Well, you could have a strike. I gave Adam a strike, so. Oh yeah, I haven't had a strike yet. No, let me keep. Let me keep thinking then. Um. Because I, I I know I can come up with something here. Uh, um, oh, gosh. John Favreau was also in Solo, A Star Wars Story. See, that's where I was thinking he popped up was in Solo. Um, yeah. Oh, Donald Glover. God damn it. Yeah, Adam, I you for- just gave that away. No, my, my, I, I, my I was... React- <laughs> my reaction. That's correct forgotten about that one so far we have uh we have very 10 painful. more 10 more <laughs> actors and actresses five four three two this does uh, need to end at some point uh, simon peg let's just say simon peg simon peg is not correct okay oh oh how about how about chris evans fantastic four Oh no, but that he's not in Star Wars. No. That's All right, so the one I was correct. trying to go with was 
was uh, the guy who plays Toad in X-Men and Darth Maul in oh, Ray Menace. Park. Yeah, yeah Ray right. Park. Ray Park. That would have been correct. Yeah, I couldn't remember his name, though. Um, who else is on the list? Let's just uh, We have misery. Paul Bettany. Oh. Rose, Rose yeah, Byrne. Cool. Yeah. Rose Byrne. Was she, she, in, was in... she in Star Wars? I mean, I should have written these things down. She's in, oh, she's in Attack of the Clones. Uh, oh, she's she's the clone, or she's the the decoy, I think, right? No, that's Kira Knightley. No, no, but that's a different decoy in episode oh. two. But I'm wrong; it's okay. someone else. Uh, Woody Harrelson. I was. Uh, mm, him too. Who was he? In, who's he in the MCU? Oh, not MCU. Uh, he was. He or, was he in, in Marvel. He was in uh, Ven- Venom Two. Oh. Uh, Felicity Jones, Ben Mendelsohn, Mods Mickelson, Ray Park, uh, you said that, uh, Terrence Stamp, Forrest Whitaker, and Donnie Yen. Oh, I was thinking Donnie Yen, too. Damn it. Oh, well. Oh, well. So you guys did reasonably well, even though I gave you a a Mogan. But we have another one, which, okay, so Terry's up five to three. And we have 26 answers on this one. And this is... Who are the single season Mariners home run leaders by year? So by year? Each year. Oh, like you're gonna give us a year and we have to say the leader or no, no, you could just say who somebody has led who led the team. Who, who who has led the team in home runs for a year? Uh I don't know. Do you want an extra half a point if you name one that has multiple? No, just 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 go. Just with do it. it straight up. Okay. So this is this is of of all time. Yes, all Mariner seasons. Uh, there are twenty six answers of their what fifty seasons or something. Uh, so we are starting with Adam. Like Griffey. Ken Griffey Jr. led the team eight times in home runs. That's a lot of times. It is a lot of times. Uh, let's go with uh, Brett Boone. Brett Boone led three times. Hanniger. Mitch Hanniger has led twice. You ready, you ready for this, Paul? You ready for this? Russell Brannion. Russell Brannion led twice. <laughs> One of those years they should have been in the home run derby. I think he led the American League at home runs going into the break and didn't make the All-Star team. Uh, Alvin Davis. Alvin Davis led twice. Um, Jay Buhner. Jay Buhner led twice. So far, the half-point thing wouldn't have mattered. Uh, Jose Lopez. Jose Lopez is not correct. What? What year did he? Uh, Terry is a two two uh, point lead. Do you have any more, Terry? Nelson Cruz. Oh yeah, that's an easy one. Nelson Cruz led three times. Uh, I also have Robinson Cano written down. I don't know if that's right though. That is not. Yeah, correct. I didn't think so. Uh, Kyle Lewis. Kyle Lewis led in the shortened season. Yeah. That is true. He had like 12 home runs in 60 games. I don't think Edgar ever did it. Um, But let me try and pull one more out here and say like... uh, 
I mean, there are some pretty big names, like a, at least one for sure Hall of Famer. Yeah, I'm going to call it good. I, I've, I've beaten him down enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, the most recent one you missed was Daniel Vogelbach. Oh, yeah. Uh, Raul Lebanez, Miguel Olivo. Obviously, uh, these yeah. are the Hall of Famers. No, uh, the Hall of Famer is Adrian Beltre twice. Oh, yeah. Richie Sexton twice. Mike Cameron, Alex Rodriguez. Patty um, down here, too. Damn it. I mean, the other ones that you probably would never have gotten Jeffrey Leonard, Steve Balboni, Balboni uh, Jim Presley, Gorman Thomas, Pat Putman, Richie Zisk twice, Tom Pasioric, Willie Horton, Leon Roberts, and Leroy Stanton. But I figured you would have gotten at least the last 10 years, but you guys kind of sucked at that, too, so I don't know. I did pretty good. You didn't even get a Banyas. That's your guy. Yeah, I should have gotten a Banyas. You're right. You got Kyle Lewis. That was one I didn't think you were going to get. <clears throat> All right. Well, Terry wins trivia. So I get to sign everybody something to watch. Including Adam. Adam Including Adam. On, on Adam's going to get something to watch. Either on Daily Notes or he can send in a clip. But let's let's uh, wrap this up. Quote of the daytime. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Uh, I get to go first because I won. I've got two quotes here. Uh, they're both from Trouble with the Curve, and they're both Clint Eastwood quotes. Um, uh, the the one I was kind of saving for if I if I lost trivia, then my quote was going to be, "Anybody who uses computers doesn't know a damn thing about this game," <laughs> and uh, and that that was going to be my my frustration about the end of trivia. But uh, instead, my quote is going to be. Now get out of here before I have a heart attack trying to kill you. That's <laughs> not a bad impression. I, I tried. I tried. All right. Uh, Adam, what's your quote? All right. I'm, I'm quoting Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it does kind of play a, important in the, the, the black phone. It's this the old man here. It says, uh, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. There are some things you just got to do don't mean you have to like it, but you do have to like liking the Almost Sideways Movie Podcast by hitting that subscribe button. And there, we reviewing there we go. Nice. You can always count on Adam to get the plug-in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's Tom, my stick. <laughs> well, a movie it's a, I watched it's a, this... It's his, it's his superpower. A movie I watched <laughs> this week that uh, isn't an actual theatrical movie, unfortunately, because it's probably the best movie of the year. It's Beavis and Butthead do the universe. And this is uh, Beavis while he's in prison. <laughs> he says, he does his classic bit, you know, I am the great Cornholio. I need TP for my butthole, my bunghole. No man is free while his bunghole is in chains. And my judge, thank you for another Beavis and Butthead movie. You are a genius. And it's the best movie of the year so far, but I can't include it because it's not a movie. It's a TV movie. With that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. We're going to end on Beavis and Butthead, which is, I, no, I feel like, butthead. appropriate appropriate for the for the episode without Zach. No man Anyways, is free while his bunghole is in chains. There you go. There you go. That That's just good advice. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next time with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.